and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, January twenty third, twenty eighteen. You know how can how can things get so messed up so quickly? That's what I want to know. How can things be so screwed up so quickly, so fast? How can things be so incredibly corrupt? Well, we live in an era, an age of corruption. We've got, um, of course, so many things to talk about tonight. We've got, we have a great show at the bottom of this hour. Tracy Bean's going to join us for some news wrap up, then Field McConnell, then, of course, closing out the show, hour three, Peter Barry Chowka. Uh, I just want to say that, uh, of course, in addition to the Hagman Report, three hours of our flagship show, we've got two hour, or two different shows, the Hagman, or, uh, uh, Doug Hagman uh, show, my show, nine to ten, except when it's not. I mean, except when it's not up there. And of course, that happened this morning. We, uh, my apologies. The archive is up there, and I would recommend listening to that. Just go to uh, HagmanReport.com, click on listen, or click on. I'm sorry, click on the um, uh, two shows there, and then drop down, and you can select both my show and John and Joe's show, which airs from two to three. The um, I want to thank everyone for helping us to joining Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. We are moving forward with a lot of uh, changes, a lot of good stuff to bring you the news. And and in the news today, of course, you've got uh, open talk of secret societies within the government. Now I know don't don't even just just don't just don't. Yes, 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 yes. There's talk of that, but you know. To, uh, to, to try to equate that with the, you know, the, what the, uh, real secret societies are, of course, that's, that's a, it's a non-starter. But, just very quickly, I want to mention this. You've got corruption at the, at, right up to the periphery of, of every, every aspect of our government, even today, even with Donald Trump in office. And especially with Donald Trump in office, not because he brought it, but he's, he's trying to root it out. Um, and I think those around them are, are, are perhaps not hitting the mark right, but you've got, uh, you've, you still have the corruption within our government. And I, I, I have it, it's, it's amazing because I, I think that, um, people are expecting this to be, this, everything to change overnight. It's not going to change overnight. Um, before I turn it over to open, open this up with Joe, I want to just mention one thing. Andrew McCarthy has a great piece in the National Review. Now, no matter what you think of National Review, I don't, well, I'm just going to keep my opinions myself on that. Andrew McCarthy is a uh, uh, former federal prosecutor. He knows what he's talking about. And he explains something that I think p- people need to understand what this is. Um, Clinton-Obama emails, the key to understanding why Hillary wasn't indicted. When you understand it was rigged from the start, and when you understand that, that in order to indict Hillary, you would have to implicate Obama, ain't going to happen wasn't going to happen. And instead of using the umbrella of executive privilege, which has uh, Watergate slash um, uh, criminal element connotations to it, it's uh, presidential privilege. And that's why. Because uh, Obama and Hillary communicated on her private server him using multiple uh, pseudonyms 
and their uh, uh, their relationship spanning probably 20 emails. When I say relationship, their email relationship spanning 20 emails with Obama using a pseudonym, uh, nom de plume, whatever you want to call it, and uh, Hillary using, uh, you know, HRC, uh, her HRC email. Of course, you implicate the foreknowledge of Obama or the knowledge of Obama knowing that she was using a private server. And, of course, we can't have that now, can we? Well, I agree with that premise. I don't agree with the opinion that if you were going to indict Clinton, you have to indict Obama because Clinton was caught red-handed with the... She was the one with the server in her her bathroom. She was the one who used that private server instead of the uh, email account provided by the government. She was the one who mishandled the classified information, and while Obama oh, so did he, so did Obama, right? But, but I mean, you can disagree all you want. This guy's a former prosecutor. Well, I know. I'm just saying that Clinton, she, they had her dead to rights, and they exonerated her. They did not have to. But, but okay, comment. all right. But, but think about this. Here, here's you. You're the Secretary of State, and they got you in the hot seat, and they're going to indict you. All you have to do is is just point to Obama, point to the president. See. He did it. That's all you got to do. And what are they going to do? Are, are they going to, given the crowd, given the, the people that were there, are you going to indict or are you going to charge Obama with mishandling classified information? How does that even work? You can charge him with the knowledge about having her, uh, knowing that she was operating a server. Of course, you know, we all know that he learned of it, uh, in the newspapers like we all did. Yeah. I would suggest reading Andrew McCarthy's uh, piece in the National Review. The title of it is Clinton Obama Emails Again, understanding why Hillary Clinton or Hillary wasn't indicted. And again, see to me, it's just a cop out for James Comey. Well, well, yeah, and they explain this in there. I know. I know. This whole thing, okay, and, and I understand people getting frustrated. I understand people saying no one's going to go to jail for this. No one's going to ever get in trouble for this. It's just corrupt. And well, you know what? If you feel that way, then, then I'll tell you what: tune out, uh, turn this program off. Go watch reruns of uh, Well, no, that's Gilligan's not fair because you can okay. believe that, but still continue to to push forward to well, expose it, these people. I, I guess what I'm saying is, we all have to care. We have to care enough to really spread the word, and it's tiring. It is tiring. There are days that the last thing I want to do is look at another headline, look at another piece of information, look at another accusation, look at this rot that it's in front of That's the last thing I want to do some days. And today's one of those days. Okay. Right. That's the last thing I want to do. But I'm just saying, but I don't need agree. some. I don't need some, uh, you know, mealy mouth, uh, spineless uh, jellyfish shipping in my ear saying, "Well, I don't really know why I even talk about it because nothing ever happens anyway." Well, see, then you're just taking the extreme because you can't equate people expecting nothing uh, to happen or nobody to receive justice with them not wanting to talk about it or put it out there. But I mean, we talk about it every day. Do I expect to see? The email, Hillary Clinton email investigation end with an indictment of Hillary Clinton? Absolutely not. Do I expect, I mean, but it doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it and try to make that happen. It's just this pattern of uh, behavior that we've seen for so long and the lack of any accountability. And uh, again, you know, we look to this, this what's going on with Strauk and, and Page and these missing messages, the corruption in the FBI. Are they really the missing? bias. Okay. No, they're not missing, but no, these people still no, work no, in the FBI. No. Yeah. So you, when you say, uh, yeah, you can't. Yeah. But we can change things. Look, we gotta, okay, so, so we can change things. You're right. Uh, sorry for, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I'm just Continue. saying we can't equate somebody 
with the attitude, oh, they're never going to get in trouble with not caring, because I kind of have that attitude. As much as we get the truth out there, as much as we... But see, that's what I hear. People people saying, well, would you, what, you gonna, nothing's going to change. Keep talking. And, you know, I can only take so many of those emails. I can only take so much of those comments. Well, nothing's ever going to change, so what? What are you going to do about it? It's like it's like we're, pe- we're peeing into the wind, okay? Uh, seriously. So this is the biggest scandal in U.S. political yes. history. Yes. So we're only at the very beginning. If this was a Christmas present, we haven't even taken the bow off yet. So there's still a long way to go here. But uh, holding out hope that Hillary Clinton's going to be perp-walked or indicted, for me, that's, you know, uh, that's something that is wishful thinking at this point in time. But more well, information it, it, it could very well happen, but not... Not in the time frame you you y'all want want that to happen. Go ahead. And what's really interesting here is this battle in the media, the dynamic between the White House and and the mainstream media. We've seen the just constant attacks on Trump since he was uh, announced his candidacy for president, and then really after this fake news awards that we saw just a few weeks ago, where he wasn't making anything up, he only pointed out the media's misreporting and their uh, deceit and dishonesty, and put it together in a in a in one piece of paper and showed it to them. They took real exception with that. So you see this huge disconnect now where they're CNN, ABC, NBC, nobody's talking about, you know, this release, the memo. Nobody's talking about the missing messages or the absent messages. Nobody's talking about the conspiracy against Trump and the FBI and DOJ. What are they talking about? They're talking about some alleged potential payoff that Trump may have had with uh, some porn star 20 years ago. They're talking Stormy, about whatever, the right? government shutdown in DACA. Yeah. And it is, uh, you know, they hate Trump so much. They're, even if it comes out that this biggest in American political history uh, is proven, I, I have a hard time believing that they're even going to cover it then. Well, it, we could have a revolution and CNN wouldn't cover it. Why doesn't Jeff Sessions hold press conferences, you know, detailing... Uh, you, you know, this no stone unturned. issues, you know, a, a, a publication. Get, get him on the phone. Let, let me talk to this. Let me talk to this idiot. Wouldn't they have let to me talk to him if he did a press conference? At some, then the networks would have to cover it. If Trump called a press conference and and detailed this, they have to cover it. But by them, you know, staying silent or staying in the background with this, it's not getting out there. All right. Well, I'll, that's true. And I, I like that reference to somebody just sent me a reference to Kelly's Heroes. Remember that that show, Kelly's or that so that movie, Kelly's Heroes. The uh, Donald Sutherland, uh, all those negative vibes, man. You know, what's with the you know? Stop the negative. It's it was funny. You have to see Kelly's Heroes. Um, and what about from, Well, wait, wait a second. Let's let's address this memo. No memo was released today. No, me- no one's got this memo except the House of Representatives. It's in the the skiff within the House uh, uh, House of Representatives. And that's four pages. It goes into. It does not real, reveal sources sources and methods. It reveals piss poor sources and, and crappy methods, and it it reveals the fact that you had the FBI and the intelligence. The services agencies against Donald Trump. Now, here's how this memo plays out. Here, very simple. Okay, there was a 99-page memo. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, what, nobody watches my videos. I showed that from, video, or I right. showed that memo. I, I held it up like this and said, here's, here, look, I've had that for a week. We have to make the distinction. I've been getting a lot of emails with this 99-page memo. This is not the memo that the House Intelligence Committee has put together. Oh, my word. It was That, that, that 99-page it was an audit from 2017, April 26, 2017. I talked about it in one of my videos. If no one watches my videos, then why should I do them? See, that's the same excuse you're going to use for not doing anything. 
That's the wrong way to do it. But but here's the bottom line. Four-page memo, Joe. It's in the House of Representatives. It's classified. House gets together. Everyone's read it except the Democrats who want to deny reality. All right? So they, they read it. They take a vote to declassify it, and then uh, they release it. So they, they that, that's the process. Okay, it's by it's by majority vote, declassified, or it's it's uh, they vote to release it. Then it's sent to the desk of the president, and he has five. Count them: one, two, three, four, five. Five days. I don't know how many times I've got to explain this. Five days upon which to sign off on it, or say no, and then cross out stuff. If he signs off on it, then it becomes public. That's how the system works. Vote, release to the president, signature, release to the public. Any questions? We're going to have a test on this at the end of the show. No one's got the memo. Uh, how many emails? I, uh, how many hundreds of emails did I get? Did you hear? The memo's been released. It's like, oh, are you know, Really? I'm going home. <laughs> I'm not allowed. Well, they said yesterday said, that no, you're not. It could take up to eighteen, nineteen congressional days. That's that's, that's, that's two hundred thirty-four dog years. Yeah, the, like the dog years comparison. And uh, I think we mentioned this yesterday. Adam Schiff uh, talked about why we can't release this memo because the American people aren't uh, don't have the mental capacity. Uh, my words, not his, but he basically said this. Because the underlying materials which were used to compile the memo are not going to be made public. There's going to be some bias, is what he said. And the American people, along with the Russian bots, uh, you know, don't have the mental capacity to understand what's in the memo. So it should not be released. But let's talk about this. Let, let's, <sighs> from the memo to what we have seen with these text messages that have come out. But by the way, the, the, the pieces of the memo, uh, what, 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 the, the intelligence that made the memo, I do believe people have knowledge of, and that's what you heard on InfoWars, okay, the knowledge of what went into the memo, not the memo itself, so, uh, I don't know, Miss Haiti, I don't know where the disconnect was, I, I don't care, I, I got too much, I'm too busy to, to really try to figure that out, go ahead and finish what you're saying. We well, just wanted to detail this, we uh, played a video on the Daily Show today, uh, back from The View, just a few months ago, of Whoopi Goldberg and others talking about how Trump and Trump Jr. are paranoid and believe in this wild conspiracy of uh, the so-called deep state and how the, the deep state was a conspiracy about uh, members working inside the government, working against Trump, trying to subvert Trump. And they were laughing about it and talking about how crazy they were. Well, it comes out today, yesterday, that we learn that uh, there are references to a secret society uh, being messaged in the Strauch page text messages the day after, uh, starting with the day after President Trump's victory, according to two lawmakers with knowledge of the messages. Trey Gowdy was one, uh, and there were others who made the rounds on the news where they were talking about Peter Strauch, a top counterintelligence official involved in both the Hillary Clinton email probe and FBI special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia probe. Exchange more than fifty thousand messages with FBI lawyer Lisa Page. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fifty thousand text messages. That's what they say. Yeah. Okay, I could live seven lifetimes, and I would never t- sixty-eight uh, a day. Sixty-eight a day. All right. 
in the time period that they have from beginning to end. Hello. Sixty-eight. Saving the country. Bad you know, Take some doing. Anyway, the messages uh, reference uh, a secret uh, society. A mental disorder. There's a text exchange between the two agents. These two are supposed to be objective, fact-centric FBI agents, saying that perhaps this is the first meeting of a secret society. Uh, this is what Gowdy said. But more interestingly, but we talked about the Oprah Winfrey and how they made fun of you know Trump and the deep state. And you know these text messages, if anything else, show proof that there was a concerted effort among top the top people in the FBI and the DOJ and the Obama administration working to subvert the president. And this is uh, something that is you can't you can't Look, deny it at this point. There's a coup. But one of the things that came out in the Strauch text that is very interesting is Strauch did not want to be part of the Mueller probe because he said there was absolutely nothing there. Uh, one of the text messages that after the missing ones, uh, no, were the he, missing no, ones no, he, he, right he wanted to, he wanted to assail Trump before he got in, not be a part of after he was in. He said that his gut sense that. tells him that there is nothing to the Robert Mueller, Mueller's Russia investigation. There is no big there there. He said there's no there there at all. Want to be a part of it. So I find it pretty interesting that um, you know he does not want to be a part of this investigation because he knows there is nothing there, and this was part of the the insurance policy that they set up, I believe, in order to try to subvert the president. But maybe he's at this point thinking, you know. All is lost. What you know, we lost what we tried to do. We tried to help Hillary. She lost the election. We tried to subvert Trump. Apparently, he's on the other side of it. What else can we do? Is is the way I read it. But what's really interesting to see if the recovery of these 400 missing messages uh, make their way 400 plus from the time period of December 14th through May 17th, a crucial time 40, period. Thousand right after the election. Right when the uh, wiretapping claims came out, when the uranium or, or the uh, wait, correct uh, what you said. Hold, hold on out. a second. You got to correct when, what you said. Yeah, stop and think what you're saying. How many text messages? Okay, it's anywhere from 400 to four, to. They say there's 50,000 messages total. They How many were released? 400 missing. No, some reports say there's 400 okay, no, missing. No, no, there were 375 released initially out of 10,000. Then they upped it to to 50,000. So that would leave 40, uh, 46,775 yet to go, or 675 yet to go. So for over 40,000 40, emails, if you, depending on who you believe. But the Office of the Inspector General sent a, a, a letter back last year saying that he collected the text and the emails through the OIG, and that's Horowitz, sent a letter back in last year saying that he collected the text and emails through the um through the I'll just say the last quarter of the last year and I'm not exactly sure that the date is not certain but nonetheless he, that would have covered the time when he would have been able to get the email so you either believe Horowitz the OIG and he was mistaken thinking he got them all or you believe Horowitz he did get them all or you believe what you're saying from your reports from these people go ahead well, either way, the uh, the text messages are from a very critical period from after Trump's election to just after the uh, Mueller special counsel was appointed. And it is missing time from when the uh, wiretapping information came out, when the dossier came out, when Comey was fired, and when Mueller was hired. All those events are in that missing time gap. But... What is going to happen? Jeff Sessions said that he's going to leave no stone unturned, 
and they are going to try to recover what does the that missing look like? messages. What, now, here's what I want to know. What's it going to look like? What is Jeff Sessions not leaving any stone unturned going to look like? I want to, I want to, I want a picture of that. I, seriously. Wait, maybe something like this? Am I going too fast? He was questioned today by Mueller in the Trump Russia inquiry. Mueller interviewed Session for several hours. Now, this was last week, but the news is coming out today. And the special counsel reported to be negotiating an interview with the president. But he had, uh, Sessions was interviewed by Robert Mueller as part of the investigation into the Russia meddling, a Justice Department spokesman said Tuesday. So he's been busy. Look. Look. Several hours. There's, a, there's been a coup. There, there's been a coup. The coup is still going on. Can you, and, and no one, except a very few people, hardly anyone is reporting on it. CNN is not reporting on it. The, the mainstream news is not reporting on it. Even, even the majority of Fox News is not reporting on it. Hannity is. Ingram to a point is. Um, Greg Jarrett, obviously. Uh, Shepard Smith, he's, he's so far out the lunch, he might as well join Chris Matthews back in the back of a VW van going down, you know, on the 101. Did you see Joe Scarborough's new, uh, musical single released today? No, I don't even, th- <laughs> don't, the other uh, my head will explode. So, <laughs> here's, here's the deal. There is, there right now, there's, there's a, there's a coup. I, I, I laid it out in my morning show. And you had mentioned something in the office earlier today. I really kind of want to talk about this. Everyone's talking about the insurance policy, thinking the insurance policy that struck referenced in McCabe's office. And, yes, it was Andy McCabe. For crying out loud, how many? It was Andy McCabe's office. Oh, an insurance policy was a dossier, right? Let's talk about that. Keith Jackson. Remember when he was on Outnumbered on, on Fox? What did he say? I played it in my morning show. What did he say? He let it slip. Now it could be an assassination plot. And, and everyone kind of did a double take. Why, 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 what, what, what? And the, and the, the, the women, the people from our numbers says, well, oh, you know, let's not get this taken out of context. You know how social media is. You know how Hagman's are. They always, you know, throw a bit. They didn't say that, but you get the idea. Joe. The speculation. On, I mean, I don't know. I've seen speculation on Twitter ranging from potentially talking about an assassination attempt on the president to kidnapping one of his family members. It doesn't matter. It's all speculation. We don't know what those text messages say. Until then, uh, you know, they could have said anything. Uh, we, we we could sit here and debate or speculate that you know they uh, talk about. Uh, you know, having Hillary Clinton as the head of their coup and installing her as the supreme leader after they take out Trump. They could literally say anything. But the fact that they're missing is uh, a huge problem. It's so convenient how when documents are, um, you know, subpoenaed and things are being investigated, like the 33,000 Hillary Clinton emails that magically disappeared into thin air, the lowest learner communications that disappeared for a few years. Now these, you know, 50,000 or whatever, or whatever many text messages that implicate uh, senior FBI officials in a plot to take down the President of the United States goes missing. The FBI, unless they have a public cleaning of house firings and prosecutions, very public, 
they're never going to regain the credibility of the American people, which does a lot of damage to the 99% of the other FBI officials and employees who, uh, you know, do a good job and, and love their country and, and try to make it a better place each and every day. These people at the very top of the FBI have ruined it for the rest of them, and there is no credibility left unless they have a very public house cleaning, and mm-hmm. that yep. needs to be yep. done soon. You know, I'd love to be Attorney General just for like a week. I don't think I could last more than a week because I'd either be shot, I'd be arrested, uh, you know, I'd I'd be poisoned. But I, I want just just let me at them. Let me at them. All right. Look, I'm no attorney, and I'm no general, but I could be an Attorney General. I, I could I could get smart people around me and and sick them, and sick them on the people. And say, look, I go here and go there and go there. And, and, and by the way, yes, the memo was out. Yes, I've sp- not the memo, the 99-page document. Yes, I talked about it. Yes, I talked. I did a video on it. Yes, I talked about it on my morning show. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. To the people who are asking, yes, 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 yes. But yes, Joe, you're, you, look, look. Right now, we are in the middle of one of the greatest stories. In the history of the world, if this was this is a, a thousand times bigger than Watergate. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. All right. This is this is the deep state that Kevin Shipt spoke about the shadow government at work. This is the takedown of the people within our. We, 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 this is a look. There's the only problem. The only. A misstep that, that occurred was Hillary Clinton was not elected. And, and they fully expected her to be elected because all of this would have gone away. All of it would have gone away and he would really, you'd have, it would have been just nothing but, oh, conspiracy talk that we would still be talking about except we wouldn't have the backing of, uh, Fox News. For example, Sean Hannity. Or we wouldn't have the backing of some Devin Nunes. We wouldn't have the backing of some of the, uh, the House Intelligence Committee and Senate Judiciary Committee. Sorry, if I took up if I took up more time than I should have, I'm sorry. Go ahead. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Tracy Beans. She's going to give us her input on what we were just discussing in this segment, from the missing messages to where do we go from here, and how if this coup is exposed for what it is, how does this affect the Trump administration moving forward? We'll be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere. This Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by Tracy Beans in this segment. Uh, just real quick to clarify what Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced yesterday. He said that the Justice Department will be investigating missing text messages that we've been talking about that have been critical of President Trump. And he says, We will leave no stone unturned to confirm with certainty why these text messages are not now available to be produced and will use every technology available to determine whether the missing messages are recoverable from another source. 
I have spoken to the Inspector General, and a review is already underway to ascertain what occurred and to determine if those records can be recovered in any other way, and if any wrongdoing were to be found to have caused this gap, appropriate legal disciplinary action measures will be taken, he continued. Now, we talked about why Sessions um, is not really all over the place with this. Why is he not front and center in the news media? He finally has some actionable intel, something to work with, and he could be making a much bigger deal of this than he is. Not, no press conferences, no... Um, appearances on the talk shows, not that he needs to do that, but I think uh, if Sessions is not going to speak up and get this out in front of the American people, then President Trump certainly should, and Sarah Sanders was asked a few questions about this today, and she said that their White House is basically allowing the Attorney General to uh, probe this and find out what is going on, but they also said that they are for full transparency and want to see the four-page memo in the House released. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. We have with us Tracy Bean. But, by the way, I just want to say I'm in a timeout. Joe put me in a timeout. He, he said, he, go ahead. Go ahead. You're tell in him. a self-imposed timeout. I, no, tell him. He was talking about uh, in the last segment how we can't continue to be negative, and I told him, well, you can't be negative while telling people you can't continue to be negative. It doesn't work that way because uh, last hour you seemed a little... Uh, no, I'm angry. A little, uh, I'm angry. I, I, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Negative. Yeah. <laughs> Hypocritical. Of, Hypocritical. Uh, look, look, it's real simple. We have to, we're in the driver's seat. We have the power. We can win on the numbers. Just show up and give a damn. Care. Call. Call the representatives. Say, you know what? I'm a constituent. Release the flippin' memo. All right? There are websites where you can, um, basically sign your name, your address, and your email address. And it will send a, an email to the White House, to your senator, to your uh, local congressional representative. And it will, you know, you can customize it or you can use the template that they have about releasing the memo. Uh, I did that already yesterday. And then you get the auto responses back, letting them know that they received I, I did it here. I did it here. I, went, I did it in my house. I went to my neighbors. I went to the library. I went to the municipal. I, I did it I, I, like 50 times. Yeah. Yeah, so there are things you can do, and definitely do that uh, as much as as much as you can to let the people know that you are not a Russian bot. You are a real American person that wants the truth, as Adam Schiff and others are trying to say that the release, the push for the release, the memo is all some kind of uh, you know Russian conspiracy using Russian bots online to push the the uh, hashtag release the memo, but that is not the case. Tracy, Tracy Beans, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Hey guys, actually today my name is Release the Memo. All and right. um I'm I'm starting this thing on Twitter. I want everybody to change their nickname to Release the Memo. Okay. Uh hashtag release the memo, right? And I then like we it. can just send friendly um friendly tweets of re- nothing but respect to Schiff and Feinstein. What do you think about did you see the, the interview that Schiff did when he referred to the push on Twitter and social media? to release the memo as some kind of Russian conspiracy of Russian computer bots? Did you see the letter today? No. Oh, gosh. I have to read this quickly. It's going to take me two minutes. This letter came from from, uh, Feinstein and and, um, Schiff, and it went to Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, and it's on Congress stationery. Okay? 
All right. We seek your company's urgent assistance. Public reports indicate that accounts linked to the Russian government are again exploiting Twitter and Facebook platforms in an effort to manipulate public opinion. These recent Russian efforts are intended to influence congressional action and undermine Special Counsel Mueller's investigation, which has already <laughs> resulted in the indictments of two Trump campaign officials and guilty pleas from two others, who are now both cooperating with prosecutors. It is critically important that the Special Counsel's investigation be allowed to proceed without interference from inside or outside the United States. That is why we seek your assistance in our effort to counter Russia's continuing efforts to manipulate public opinion and undermine American democracy and the rule of law. Specifically on Thursday, January 18, 2018, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence Majority voted to allow members of the U.S. House of Representatives to review a misleading talking points memo authored by Republican staff that selectively references and distorts highly classified information. The Rust decision to make this document available to the full House of Representatives was followed quickly by calls from some quarters to release the document to the public. Several Twitter hashtags, including hashtag release the memo, calling for the release of these talking points attacking the Mueller investigation, were born in the hours after the committee vote. According to the German Marshall Fund Alliance for Securing Democracy, this effort gained the immediate attention and assistance of social media accounts linked to R Russian influence operations. By Friday, January 19, 2018, the hashtag release the memo hashtag Hashtag was the top trending hashtag among Twitter accounts believed to be operated by Kremlin-linked groups. Its use had increased by 286,700% and was being used 100 times more than any other hashtag by accounts linked to Russian influence campaigns. These accounts are also promoting an offer by WikiLeaks to pay up to $1 million to anyone who leaks this classified partisan memo. If these reports are accurate, we are witnessing an ongoing attack by the Russian government through Kremlin-linked social media actors directly acting to intervene and influence our democratic process. This should be disconcerting to all Americans, but especially your companies, as once again, it appears the vast majority of their efforts are concentrated on your platforms. This latest example of Russian interference is in keeping with Moscow's concerted, covert, and continuing campaign to manipulate American public opinion and erode trust in our law enforcement and intelligence institutions. We understand Facebook and Twitter have developed significant expertise in identifying inauthentic and malicious accounts. Further, your forensic investigations into Russian government exploitation of your platforms during the 2016 U.S. election have helped expose to the American public the vast extent of Russia's covert influence efforts. We therefore request that your companies conduct an in-depth forensic examination of this real-time activity on your platforms to determine, one, whether and how many accounts linked to Russian influence operations are involved in this campaign, two, the frequency and volume of their postings on this topic, and three, how many legitimate Twitter and Facebook account holders have been exposed to this campaign. Given the urgency of this matter, we ask that you provide a public report to Congress and the American public by January 26, 2018. In addition, we urge your companies to immediately take necessary steps to expose and deactivate accounts involved in this influence operation that violate your respective user policies. That sounds about right, Tracy. And I don't know, I'm sure you received an email as well from Twitter, and I'm looking for uh, the one Jackie sent us that, that we got. It said something like, Dear Hagman Report. I didn't get that. it. 
Okay. I didn't get that. But yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. It's, I've seen it. Listen, this letter, the, this letter right here, this is, this is concerning to me. Very concerning to me because this is basically Nazi behavior by these two. It, mm-hmm. They're basically inciting Twitter to violence against their users in the last paragraph. Expose and deactivate. What does that mean? What does expose mean? Well, what they're saying is any opposition <laughs> to their talking points, to their narrative, then that is somehow equivalent to being a, a Russian bot. I mean, first of all, they link WikiLeaks as some kind of Russian organization when that is the furthest thing from the truth. This is one of the ways that they tried to entangle Russia in the debate of what happened with the Hillary Clinton uh, email hacks that were released before the election took place. And now they're continuing that narrative. And when anything is trending and the silent majority gets on Twitter and pushes hashtags like release the memo or Schumer shutdown, they're trying to say that it is basically Russian bots that are creating these hashtags and pushing them out in mass force. Not American people who actually want answers, but instead Russian bots. And it is very dangerous. And what you're saying, if they do take further steps to start deactivating and banning accounts that, you know, push these forward, it just shows, you know, the, the full weight of censorship that Twitter will be engaged in. But this is their right to do so. This is just a further well, step in what they do. It, it might be their right to do so, right? But it's, 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 we have a couple things here. Number one, we have the government instructing a private company to perform an action. Mm-hmm. That's really just outside of the bounds of all things. That should be allowed. I mean, it's it's either the company, it's either it's either they're already working together and they just haven't told us, or the government is now trying to assert itself into private business. Which one? And they are. Or or regulated as a a public utility. We we saw with James O'Keefe, with the James O'Keefe release, release, the Chinese government has been dictating policy on Twitter and, and banning accounts and whatnot, and they've been acquiescing to that. So it's not a far cry to see them doing the same for the American government. It's just, it's funny to me in, in, in a lot of ways. Like this just really just, this was like the, as much as it sounds crazy, this was like the last straw for me because this is, you know, obviously we did a really good job with that hashtag, right? We, we mm-hmm. know that, that it's not Russian, Russian bots that are, that are doing this. Most of us, you know, most of the American people know, but there are those people that really believe what they're saying. And it, this came partisan. There are not Republicans on this letter, and, and Schiff has it proudly pinned to the top of his Twitter. This letter came from two two Democrats. Uh, how ironic is that, by the way? Just think about that for a second. And in the article from The Hill, a source familiar with Twitter's analytics well, said the hashtags appear to be organically trending. In, in not one the word, result. Gab AI. Gab AI. There you go. Well, yeah, I'm on Gab already. Absolutely, Tracy Beans. But, you know, the thing is, it's funny because this letter, they they speak as the it, it just illustrates everything. This is just the illustration of everything that we've been dealing with over the past gosh knows how long, right? The letter cites the media as their basis for for the facts that they're spewing out. But who controls the media? So it's just one big cluster of these people, these 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 horribly ty- tyrannical, disgusting people who I don't know. They know this isn't true. That's the thing that you know. It's not like they're like the average CNN person that feels like this stuff is true because they're programmed, right? These people know this stuff is not true. They know it. So it just tells you how scared they must actually be to pull something like this. Yeah, absolutely they are. What I mean, and, and what are they scared of? Do they know what is in the content of those missing text messages? Are they really afraid of what is in the four-page Devin Nunez 
FISA memo? Are they afraid of what they all engage, the behavior they engaged in, trying to undermine Donald Trump? And I think it's uh, all of the above. And then on top of it, you have a media who is not only, uh, you know, neck deep in this conspiracy, but they're uh, continuing to push to undermine Trump. And it is just this coordinated effort among media and, and government and Hollywood and the, the top uh, leaders in, in business and politics and industry that have actively engaged in this conspiracy to overthrow an elected president. Yeah, and I think, you know, we need to obviously stay very calm and focused and steadfast in what we're trying to accomplish here, which is getting the truth out. That's really all we want is for the truth to come out. But we need to, you know, just stay. It's it's so easy to get very frustrated and angry. I, I I mean, I was just all day today. I was revved up about this. This really just bothered me. Um, but that's exactly, I think there's a lot of a double kind of psyop thing going on here with this thing, cause. I'm gonna pick they you up and you and I'll go out shooting. How's that? Uh, yeah, let, please, go ahead. make the drive. We'll go. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. We All right. need to do it. We need to do it, Doug. I'm gonna get my dirty, hairy gun out and we're, we're gonna go shooting. Go, I'm sorry, Tracy, go on. That's okay. No, I think it's like a double. They knew we would react this way. So I'm now, like, I'm reacting and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pull my little social media snafu here for them and let them just get a little annoyed. We called their offices all day long, all day. And they hung up on me when I tried to tell them that I was an American. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's getting to the, the point where, you know, they need to know they're messing with the wrong people and that we're, our voices are very loud and we're not afraid to, you know, go and protest and, you know, make some noise to get our country back. Yeah. And push back against, uh, Feinstein and these people who are, who are pushing this narrative of Russian bots. Push back against Adam Schiff. Call their offices. Call their Washington. Call their local offices. You should have Make identified them feel yourself. The you should have identified yourself as a trans, transgendered lesbian, <laughs> illegal, um, by the name of Bunny Hernandez. Illegal. Then they would have paid attention to me the whole time. Yeah. I would have had the floor for a half hour. That's right. Oh, goodness. But, but, but Tracy, now no, look, um, we don't want to take your time up. Wonderful Twitter feed today. A lot of information. You got the floor. You got just preach it. Preacher. Well, I thank you. I did um I did want to, you know, this morning I did like a little tweet stream on um on disinformation and how it comes from everywhere and and you know, how we need to be really extra vigilant about about it. And it's it's a it's a big deal, you know, Joe, our first, you know, kind of interview that we had after my initial one, we were kind of going back and forth with one another about disinformation and I was in total agreement with you. It's a problem. It causes problems. It causes um, people to be unsure and it, it waters down the message and it's really hard to tell the difference between what is and what isn't and people have to understand as well that there are people that are being paid to come and gain trust and then sow discord it is it there's no doubt it, it's happening and i don't mean like big huge names i mean you know people that start and all of a sudden you know they've got like two hundred thousand people on twitter following them and and you think that they're a very big name and then you follow them and they sprinkle out 90 percent you know truth and 10 percent disinformation but the 10 percent is so dangerous um so i just want to caution everyone to really use their discernment about what they consume and then once they consume it how they then use that information and put it back out again. Yeah, some people believe that disinformation is necessary, um, you know, in, in different operations and counterintelligence. And we need full transparency. We can't have, um, 
you know, these people, we, we see so much of this, uh, well, we, we can't release this to the public because they won't understand it. We can't release this to the public because, uh, you know, it could be misconstrued. It, it's, you know, we've seen, um, as we talked about, this biggest scandal in, in American political history. It needs to be exposed, and every secret that can be made public needs to be made public. Otherwise, the people aren't going to learn from them that, from it. They're not going to understand, uh, you know, where uh, they were manipulated and how they were manipulated if this is not brought to the, you know, all the way out in the public, uh, 100% transparency. And we need that. But, you know, these people continue to play games. And then you have, again, as we said, a media who is complicit in this anti-American conspiracy. So even if, uh, you know, certain information does come out into the public, you have the issue of only select media outlets deciding to cover it, and then others basically uh, manipulating that truth into something that will look, uh, you know, less will make their uh, people look less guilty. It is a mind game and an information war for sure. That's why it's so important that we stay, uh, you know, on the tip of the spear with the information. Yeah, it's, yes, I agree with everything you said. I, you know, I do understand that disinformation is necessary and the people can't handle it angle because if you look at what they're, look at how the left, and I hate to generalize, but look at how the left establishment has weaponized their people. They've turned them into weapons and they've sowed such discord and such, you know, tumultuous energy between the people and people like us that the stuff that's going to come out, like let's pretend it came out, let's pretend everything was, was what, what, what are these people going to do? What are they going to do? I mean, I think we have to be ready for that anyway. What are these people going to do? Do you think that they're going to take to the streets? Do you think that they'll just be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this? What do you think? That's a good I, question. I don't know. It. They're going to deny. And and then what? Deny. It, it, deny it, it, and, and, and... You know, my mother-in-law, I love my wife, but my mother-in-law, God rest her soul, she could look at a problem, and it could be standing two foot from her, and it wouldn't exist. And no matter how, how much you pointed to it, how much you said, this is a problem. She'd, no. No. People are insane. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know what yeah. else to say. <laughs> it's true. I mean, reading that, that letter that I read to you guys today, what did you feel like inside when you were reading that? Like, what did you feel like? Hatred. Anger. I, I laughed. I cried. No, I... Yeah. I mean, no, you know, like you no, said, no, they I know mean, what they're putting out as a lie. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> they know what they're putting out as a lie, and they're doing it intentionally to for damage control in in order to stop the american people from being able to voice their opposition to what they see going on they're trying to silence uh, a majority of the people who are calling them out on their corruption that they have been not only engaged in but covering up for for a long time now and th- like you said they're scared their backs are against the wall they hopefully you know there is about to be a house cleaning that that takes place and as I said, for the FBI to gain any credibility back, they need a very public house cleaning. And this needs to be done throughout all levels of our government. But how close are we to see that happening? We seem to be getting more and more pieces each and every day. And I said this earlier, Tracy, if this was a Christmas present, we barely have unwrapped the bow. There's still so much more to unpack from all this. And it'll be interesting to see what information comes out if they find the missing messages, if uh, that memo and when that memo is released. 
and on and on and on. It seems that we are, um, despite the, the slow pace of the information, it seems to be coming more and more now. So we have to continue to hope for that information to be made public. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, you know, I feel like for Gates and Nunez, um, sorry, Gates and Jordan to be on Hannity and basically say there will be criminal charges, this is, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be pretty, pretty hefty. So I don't think they'd say that if it, if it wasn't something that would ultimately be, um, Rybicki left, I believe, um, but it was supposed, supposedly it was, um, scheduled that he would be leaving under Ray. Um, I, I, it's just gonna, it's gonna be a really hard period for people that aren't ready for it. That's all. I mean, it's, it's something our country needs to do. We need to heal and we need to cleanse this nonsense and try and fix it and, and move on. Um, and start over and do it the right way and put better protections in place. And the list goes on and on and on. But it needs to happen. It cannot continue this way. It just can't. This is just, this is over the top. Like, I feel like I'm in a crazy movie every day. Every day. <laughs> where does this, uh, it, okay. The, where, where does the latest developments on these text messages leave the Mueller investigation? Uh, is there any way? Mueller can bring a charge against Trump that does not look like it is part of some bigger plot. All Trump has to do is just talk to Mueller. Period. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's at this point. I mean, the guy didn't even Strzok didn't even want to be on that investigation. He was like, "No, it's not worth it for me. There's nothing there. We know there's nothing. There. I don't even want to do it." Like, that's why I, I'm still fifty-fifty on it. We'll have to see what happens. <laughs> I mean, well, Mueller could—he couldn't yeah. have been working this whole time. Like you know, Doug and I—we butt heads about this, but hey, you know. Uh, well, you know what? Hey, look, anything's possible, um, and I respect your opinion. Believe me, I respect your opinion, and and I'm open to listen to it. But but here's what I think: I think if if Donald Trump talks to Mueller in any way, shape, or form, I think it's a mistake. It I, is it's a huge mistake because it is. Um, he's getting bad legal advice. He's got no reason to talk to Mueller. He should give Mueller the middle finger. Perverbal. Uh, and by the way, tr- uh, uh, Tracy, we're going to forgo the top of the hour break. We're going to keep you a little longer just because oh. we, we we love you that much. Okay. So well, I love you too. Thank you. That's right. really nice. So, wow. Uh, b- by the way, here's a 90, the cover page of the 99 page audit that uh, was referenced so many times today. It's not a memo. It's not four <laughs> pages. It's 99 pages. Go ahead. Okay, Tracy. So, to you. <laughs> I talked about that too. I had to. See, that's the thing. It's like, oh, goodness. Everybody asks me all the time, how come I'm not doing breaking news, right? Well, first of all, I'm not, I can't do that right now. But second of all, I'd rather not be first. I'd rather be right. I would rather be right than first. That's just the way I look at it. Like, I'd rather wait and, like, pensively pick up details and crumbs from everywhere and then make a decision than rush to judgment and be wrong. <laughs> And that's a, that's a very good way of doing it. And you're you're on the money um, with many 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 things. And I can't say even even your speculation is reasoned, well reasoned. So respect you for that. Um, Thank you. The uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, and this is the only question I have for you, and I'll turn you back to Joe. Do you think that the, the talk of the insurance policy? It's always been considered to be uh, that. Uh, steel dossier you know keith jackson from uh the the, the pundit uh conservative pundit was on outnumbered 
some time ago, and, and he said, you know, who, who knows? It could be like an assassination kind of takeout, take Donald Trump out permanently kind of plot. Or against his family. Or, yeah, you, you know, it, it didn't have to be nailed to the to the Steele dossier. And I played that on my morning show, the, 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 what he said, and I'm thinking, you know, what do you think? I guess that was my question. What do you think? I, I heard your show. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I, I, I really, you know what? It's not outside the realm of possibility. Look at how Donald Trump Jr. got rid of social, uh, got rid of, you know, his Secret Service detail. Um, there's been a lot of weird security things that have gone on inside the White House, the renovation and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So would you really put it past these people when they're that desperate? to look what's happening they weren't able to do it obviously and look what's happening now they their 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 whole world is going to blow up so when people get desperate they do stupid stuff that's very true yeah and who knows but i do know that we're please tell me you remember watergate you don't have to but just shake your head nod your head yes okay i, I mean don't. i re- <laughs> i, I know do you don't. 18 pages 18 pages 18, Eight. I'm sorry, 18 minutes of wow. a phone conversation, of tape, of White House tape, right? Gone, uh, and what happened? Yeah. I mean, I lived through Watergate. I remember the hearings, and, and I was, you know, younger, much younger then, but I remember this, and, and I remember the entire country being fixated on how important this was, and today, people just appear, don't, don't appear to care. And uh, I, the, I the, see the, a lot worse. of people who care. I see a lot of people who care um, every day, lots. Um, you know, that's another reason why I think they can't pull off the, the, you know, what they, what they may have been planning to do because they're, we would all know it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be swept under the rug. It wouldn't be an accident. We would, we would, all of us would be like, what? And we would know immediately and they would be in a lot like worse of a position then I think than they would doing it this way. So. Okay. You give me hope. What would otherwise gloomy day? So, Tracy, do you expect them? When do you expect the memo to be released? Do you think that will happen in the next few days, in the next few weeks? And then, what do you expect the next steps to be after the release of the memo? I don't think they can hold this memo till the 19th of March because that would be 19 congressional days. Um, sometime mid-March um, would be 19 congressional days, like they said. I think they're not going to have a choice but to release it a little sooner because of the public pressure, which we have to continue to put on them. But we still have to make sure they do it the right way. And I'm seeing the time, so I'm not going to talk much longer. But they, I, we have to make sure they do it the right way because one mistake, one foible, one step outside the right pathway, and this thing, you know, would be diminished. They're seizing on any opportunity to make it less than what it is. So we've got to do it the right way. And and once that comes out, I, I have to assume that by then they'll have grand juries and or indictments ready. I, I can't see them prolonging that for too long and giving them too long to cover their tracks. Uh, let me ask you this, Tracy, and this is obviously just uh, your opinion and based on what happened. Say we see um, some people fired, some people prosecuted, and say this uh, conspiracy against Donald Trump and the subversion that was attempted against Donald Trump comes into the full view of the public where we have, you know, the, the media can't ignore it. What do you think this would do to the Trump agenda, Trump presidency moving forward? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Guaranteed eight years. Guaranteed. 
um, if not, you know, 16 or 20 after that comes out. Um, not him, obviously. And I think, th- I think he'd actually be able to execute on stuff. People might actually shake themselves off and be like, okay, let's do this. Let's fix this country. But, uh, you know, this is all going to be going on behind the scenes for a very long time. This isn't going to be something fast. So I-, I think he's guaranteed to win next time around. I honestly believe that anyway, but that would seal the deal. He, he would have been executing on his promises. Every one of them. Every one of them. Yeah, and it would, um, you know, show, if it does come out, it will show the amount of um, crimes, political crimes, that and the weaponization from the, the surveillance courts to just the hatred uh, and, and what he was up against and still prevailed and came out on top and is, and is winning with his agenda. Isn't it interesting how, you know, uh, Trump talked about draining the swamp and how so many of what we call these swamp monsters seem to be uh, in in self-destruct mode, where you know the, all the credibility of, of the FBI is gone, the credibility of the Mueller investigation is gone. Nobody trusts the media anymore. I mean, they uh, have just turned themselves into a laughingstock. He's not even having to actually actively do anything. I know these people are are working to destroy themselves better and doing a much better job of it than he uh, probably could ever do in trying to take them down himself. So. It's very fun to watch, uh, and it's very frustrating to watch at the same time, depending on the day. Joe, I really love this new version of you we're getting tonight. I like it. N- new Tracy, version. I, I beat him out of it. Or I beat it out of him. I beat it out. I don't know what's different. You're just actually, you're, you're like, you're very, you're good at this. It's very, you're good at this. It's very optimistic, and it's actually like, you know, you were a little down the last time, and uh, you know I get it. It's easy to feel that way, so I, it's just nice to hear you like this. It's it's good. Well, thank you, Tracy. <laughs> no. I'll have to go back and listen to the other interviews to see what the difference is. No, no see, I, I'm the Debbie Downer tonight. Um, uh, but Tracy, we we got you for another, let's say here, three minutes. Okay, so oh, great. You, you know what? The three minutes is yours. Whatever you, you know, want to tell gonna, people. I, Oh, great. Thank you. I just want to apologize. I'm only kidding. You can't see me laughing, so you can't see that I'm just messing with you. I just want to make sure that that's known. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fine. But Now now you know it's it's okay. It's fair game to come back. That's all. Well, it, it was it was great having you on, Tracy, and uh, I know that um that we're going to have you back on here in the near future to continue to break this stuff down. I'd like to to bring you back on also for uh, a Q update at some point, as I've, I have been following that, and I I uh, I do have some some issues with some of the stuff I'm seeing, but also it seems like there is um, more information that's coming out of there, so that might come to a head sooner than later. But we'll have to talk about that on another broadcast. But I just want to let you know that I have been following it and actually reading from the source rather than reading what other people say about it. So, Oh, uh, that's great. I hope that, you know, it might not have changed your mind, but it might have. And, not you yet. Know, either, well, you, that's fine. Either way is fine. As long as you have the information, you can make a decision on your own, and then I'm happy with that. Can't argue that. So, Tr- Tr- Tracy, I'm sure that everyone listening knows who you are, but definitely give a plug to your channel and to your Twitter feed. Thanks. I love you guys. You're fantastic. Um, it's at Tracy Beans, a, uh, at T-R-A-C-Y-B-E-A-N-Z, and it's also Tracy Beans on YouTube as well. Thanks for having me tonight, guys. This was fun. Oh, Tracy, you're, you're, uh, you're really somebody to be cherished. You're, you do great work and we, we think a lot of you. And we, and I mean that. You're an asset to the, um, 
to the investigative, to the citizen investigative journalists, you're an asset, and we really appreciate your work. Thank you. I love All you right. guys. We'll talk soon. Okay. okay. Thanks, Tracy. Bye. All right. Thank you to, to Global Star. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing us to blow through the network break. Uh, important to hear from Tracy Beans. Up next is Phil McConnell. No, you all know Phil McConnell. Uh, Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you um, because well, I'm going to kick it back. You're going to kick it back? <laughs> no, um, yeah, Phil well, McConnell was on a few times uh, a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, and um, a huge audience response when he comes on. And he talks <laughs> about the... AbleDanger.org, by the way. Yeah, AbleDanger.org. He talks about the uh, conspiracies, the government conspiracies, the deep state, the things that uh, we have been seeing ongoing since 9-11 and uh, even before that and how things have continued to get worse and worse and you know we seem to be moving closer to this new world order uh, type government. Eric, did you give us a thumbs up? Yep. All right. We have with us Field McConnell. Mr. McConnell, welcome back to the Hagman Report. <clears throat> well, I do feel very welcome here. Um, I, I want to give you guys uh, some very strong words of encouragement. And I, I want to be brief because I have a lot of people to identify, but I want to identify myself as someone who's been saved by Jesus Christ. I also want to say that even though there's people who think that I am courageous or busy or all these, <clears throat> no, I was just chosen by God to expose evil. And I want to make it real clear with just three examples. Hillary Clinton and my sister, Christine Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, they uh, were involved in 9-11 because they got involved in the patent of the Boeing Honeywell Uninterruptible Autopilot. I did not create that situation. My sister did. Secondly, on the morning of 9-11, my college classmate from Annapolis, Captain Chick Burlingame of American Airlines Flight 77, uh, he was murdered by our government officials with the participation of some four-star general and admirals. And uh, he was murdered because he's the guy that wrote the plan for the exercise. The exercise went rogue and wild and and live, and they murdered him because if they didn't murder him, he would have said, wait a minute, I wrote that exercise. It wasn't supposed to go wild. Anyway, and the third connection... <clears throat> I'm proving to everyone, I hope, that I'm not in charge of anything. I'm just in a very special special place that God put me. The three F-16s that responded to Washington, just about time to see what struck the <clears throat> Pentagon, which and what struck the Pentagon has a direct link to John McCain, who went to the Naval Academy in the class of 58. I was, I, first of all, I don't give a a rear, rat's rear end about my college education, but I was so blessed by God to get through the Naval Academy because I never should have gotten into it. But I got in and I got out because he was preparing me, and I filed for, uh, formal treason charges on John McCain on the 6th of April of 2008. And if people say, well, you people like Tracy and the Hagmans and all you truthers, you're not getting anything done. Well, yeah, yeah, we are. And we're going to get it all done. That's the bottom line. If somebody needs to leave, come back and listen to the tape later. But we are going to win. The country is being saved. Right now, as I speak, there's 10,000 Marines going after 44,000 traitors. Some of the highest household names, like my sister, Christine Marcy, uh, Barry Swatero, which is the real name of Obama, 
Hillary Rockefeller, which is the real name of Hillary, because Bill Jefferson Rockefeller was the bastard son of the governor of Arkansas, Winthrop Rockefeller. But on the morning of 9-11, three F-16s were taken off course, so they couldn't prevent a McCain, I'm being very careful, a McCain-linked, Raytheon-owned, obsolete Douglas A-3 Skywarrior. That is the airframe that was vaporized as it entered the Pentagon. And the only aviation parts that came out of the Pentagon were all four parts of an A-3 Skywarrior. So I want to implicate and end the careers of as many people as you guys will let me attack. But in every case, I would say the pecking order, and once again, it's your show. But I'd say, and I've done this in writing, I talked to Trump, Ben Carson, and the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, whose name is General Joseph Dunford, who entered the Marine Corps six years behind me. And every time I communicate with Trump and Dunford, I put my U.S. Marine Corps number in there, and I'm sure that for the few people that might see it, they think, oh, he just can't grow up. Well, no, Marines don't grow up. We win or we die. Tonight, the other team gets to deal with an old Marine. John McCain, he's a three-generational traitor. I can fill that in. Hillary Clinton and my sister and their involvement in 9-11, I can fill that in. George H.W. Bush, who was intentionally put in a position to look like a hero, and they got three out of the four letters right. But they have a Z where a hero is a good thing, zero. No, George H.W. Bush killed his two guys in the back of his airplane in World War II when he bailed out of a perfectly good airplane before he could order them to bail out because he was going to get picked up by a submarine, and they weren't. George H.W. Bush, his true history is, you know, 18 U.S. Code 2382 is not sufficient for George H.W. Bush. That guy ran our country. I'm going to be real calm here. This is critically important. He ran our country from the 30th of March of 1981 until the 20th of January of 2017. George H.W. Bush has shot at or killed, not himself. He's never the trigger man. Probably not smart enough. He's evil enough. We all know that. But when JFK died, and by the way, JFK was forced to take a vice president he didn't want, LBJ. JFK and LBJ, along with some household names like Barry Seal, David Ferry, they all participated in killing John F. Kennedy. But George H.W. Bush is very predictable. And he arranged to have Ronald Reagan shot on the 30th of March of 81 so that then he could rise and be the guy actually running the country. And Ronnie was just up there talking about 20 mule team Baraxo and the Death Valley days. Well, George H.W. Bush, you were in the Navy and you met Marines. I bet you never engaged one, but you're engaged with one now and you're going to lose, pal. My sister, Christine Marcy, evil number two. George H.W. Bush, evil number three. 
John S. McCain, chump change, but he's able, he's, well, I think if you take a look at his face and his health, you can see the inner peace that he does not possess. Behind me, there's a book that's all about peace, and I'm not plugging the book. In fact, the book's over. I get, every morning I wake up and I read uh, a book that was sent to me by a lady in Louisiana called Jesus Calling. Well, uh, somebody can look up Psalm 9416, and you can see what Jesus called somebody to do. And what he called somebody to do is expose evil. So we've, we've talked about my sister. We've talked about G.H.W. Bush. We're going to talk about three Clintons. Um, I think I sent you fellows a picture of this aircraft. Uh, and could either one, Joe or Doug, could one of you tell me if you guys received this picture before the show? Uh, yeah, I I believe we did. Um let me look. I think it was an atta- either an attachment or uh, yes, yes, that looks familiar. I'm, I can barely see it. Re- okay, yeah, okay. At the end of the show, I'll tell you how the Clinton family used this to kill black people. Now, what I just said was how the Clinton family used this specific aircraft, not one like it, but this one, uh, to kill black people. And uh, but I'm going to hold that for the end of the show. So when you know you're kicking me off. Which, by the way, thanks for keeping Tracy on. Uh, she's really a champion. And yeah, I, we just we did we did the, we did that at the expense of the break field. Uh, so no worries. So well, I'm sure whoever sponsors you, if you get the kind of content you're going to be getting, the sponsor's probably going to say, "Hmm, maybe we don't need breaks anymore." But which of these people that I've just vilified, and I didn't get to Obama yet, Barry Swatero, and I didn't get to the FAA administrator whose name is Michael. Huerta, uh, H-U-E-R-T-A. But uh, any of those personalities interesting to you? Far away, brother. They were interesting. To... Yeah, keep going. Uh, I mean, don't don't stop. Oh, I'm not. Uh, you tell me when to stop. Uh, until then, it's let a rip potato chip. And the reason I'm in the position I'm in, first and foremost and only, is by God. Am I worthy of this? No, I am not. But I'm trying to honor my parents. That's the fifth commandment. My parents are both at Arlington. Of course, they're both in heaven, but their, rem- their remains are in Arlington. Uh, they share a grave, just like they shared a bed for 61 years. Uh, I never heard either of my parents uh, lose control of their focus or their mouth. Uh, both of my parents, well, my mother died before she knew for sure how evil my sister is. My father, uh, he knew, uh, a day or two before he died, and I had the, I had the blessing of holding his hand as he went to heaven. But, uh, a couple days before he died, in his home at 832 Coachway, Annapolis, Maryland, 21401, um, I told him, I said, you know, dad, mom knew that Chris was a lesbian. Mom knew that Chris was in an arranged marriage. But I said, did you and mom know who she was working for and what she was doing? And my dad said no. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you everything I know about your daughter until you tell me to stop, which is exactly what I just offered you, Joe. I'll tell you everything I know until you tell me to stop. But when my dad was dying, I explained to him that my sister in 1969 entered the federal government as a bureaucrat and she was just like I got into the Naval Academy wrongfully because a four-star general named Hunter Harris lied. He said I was athletic and I was smart. And 
that was a bold lie. He, he put it in writing. So <clears throat> I was fortunate to get into the Naval Academy. Had I not gotten there, I never would have been a fighter pilot. Had I never been a fighter pilot, I never would have understood 9-11. Uh, and, you know, the I think the two things that I'm regarded as being fairly uh, accurate about is the flying events of 9-11 and uh, what really happened to Malaysia 370. And am I doing what I want to do? No, I want to go fishing. I want to be with my wife. By the way, uh, regardless of what the chat room people, most of the chat room people in your chat room are really good, but you're going to draw some trolls. But uh, the trolls aren't going to like this. But to prove the value of what I say each and every day uh, with the biggest audience that will have me, and thank you, by the way, for having me a couple of times. I appreciate it. Our country needs it. And let me just tell you, our country is going to be okay. Uh, there's at least four Marines that are supporting. <clears throat> uh, Donald Trump, Trump is playing his part very well, <clears throat> and he's got four Marines playing their part very well. And some people may not like Marines. I'll tell you who doesn't like Marines is anybody that tries to go up against a Marine. Because when you go up against one, you're going to have to deal with all of us, even the old guys. Which reminds me, yesterday was the uh, 1991, it was the 27th <clears throat> anniversary of the murder of a man that I'm photographed with because we were both uh, recruiting models, if you will, for the United States Marine Corps Aviation Branch. And our photos were on the same page of a recruiting poster in 1974. The other man, uh, everyone knows my name, and I have no mental initial. Uh, and they only know my name because you've got it on your show ad today. Thank you. The other man's name was Colonel James Edward Sabo, S-A-B-O-W. George H.W. Bush, four-star Marine general. He's still alive, too. Uh, Bush is alive, I think. Uh the four-star Marine general who was the commandant of the Marine Corps was a homosexual, uh, and you're not supposed to be homosexuals back in my generation. In the, you know, this this is pretty much something that's been foisted upon us by the uh, the Jesuits in the Vatican, the Crown agents, the City of London, and uh, the Senior Executive Service, which my sister started in 1979 because another Naval Academy guy uh, named Jimmy Carter. <clears throat> asked my sister to start the United States Senior Executive Service, which is their method to control every element of our government, <clears throat> except the Marine Corps, because the, the Marines are coming. But they do it in concert with a company or a corporation named Serco, S-E-R-C-O. Now, Doug and Joe, have you ever heard of Serco before? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. But feel free to explain. Have either one of you ever heard of the Senior Executive Service before? No. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. oh. We yeah. actually uh, talked about that on the Daily Show last week. Yes. So John found some information on My apologies, yes. <clears throat> no, no, no apologies. We're all, we're all working for God. Some of us just, and I play that card because that I know a... that Go ahead. our enemies are Satanists. And uh, something that I became somewhat... Uh, respected for, and I'm going to hold it up because it's not in the public yet. Um, it should be uh, a great conference that I had the pleasure of being at in May of last year. I was asked to speak about pedophilia. Uh, and this is not promotion because I don't have any financial relationship to this. But uh, <clears throat> there's a 
conference over in England every May. It's called Alternative View, AV. Last year was AV8, and I spoke on pedophilia. I also, and there's probably no way you fellows would know this, but I was in a courtroom in Wisconsin on the 21st of August of 2014, and it was my displeasure to be selected as one of the one of the jurors. So there's 12 of us people in the jury box, and the judge looks at all 12 of us and says verbatim, before I release the alternative jurors, do any of you 12 in the box have a personal relationship with pedophilia? I raised my hand, no visual expression, and he looked at his cheat sheet. You know, they've got a list of who sits where. And so this judge looks at me, and he says, Mr. McConnell, are you telling me that you have a personal history with pedophilia? And I called him judge, not your honor. I said, yes, judge, my sister and Hillary Clinton run the biggest net-centric pedophile procurement and distribution network in the United States and the world. In the United States, that is called Pizzagate. In the world, it's called Pedogate, and it leads right to the Podestas and a lot of other servants in both the U.K. government and also the U.S. government. And the pedophiles in the U.S. government are on notice that there's people that have their names because it's a form of extortion. That's why my sister, a hybristophiliac lesbian, was recruited, I believe, by Obama's grandmother. And as pretty much any student of recent history knows, Obama's grandmother died within a couple of days of the election. Now, it's like my college classmate, Chick Burlingame. Why did he have to die? Because he would recognize the plan of 9-11. If anybody wants to look it up, and hopefully, I know there's a lot of able to injure people in the chat room. Hopefully, somebody will write this for your chatters. But Amalgam Virgo, A-M-A-L-G-U-M space V-I-R-G-O 01. Amalgam Virgo 01 was the exercise on June 1 and 2 that went live on 9-11. And just because I want to stop and get my throat, I'm not going to stop talking. I'll do that one. Okay. Well, I'll give you a break in this. Our guest is Phil McConnell. And his website is able, A-B-E-L, danger. That's able, danger, dot org. And on the on Twitter, it's at Telford underscore Russian. Interesting. Able Danger is his website, abledanger.org, Phil McConnell. All right. Go ahead. Well, thank you very much. I want to say something about the Telford thing, too, as long as you brought that up. I mean, you could keep me on for three months straight, and one thing would lead to another. I was asked to go over to Telford. They asked me in January of 2015. I went on February 27th of 2015. And I met some people there that were very interesting. And one of them I refer to as the Telford Russian. And I don't believe I've really ever been 100% honest, only because I don't like exposing certain people. But we now have a fictional character. And that's why on our coffee cups, my coffee cups over there, I like Christian coffee cups better. This one says Isaiah 40, 31. And this one says Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But I met some important people. I think they're important. If you like peace and you like kindness, 
and you like love and trust, and you like your country, regardless of what country you're in. I, I was blessed to be born in the United States, but I don't consider the United States that I've witnessed the last 30 years to be a blessing at all. It's just one big fraud. Which reminds me, towards the end of Tracy Bean, uh, her opportunity to share with you, she said something about the government is run like a company. Well, the government is a company, but it's not a company, it's a corporation. And that's what I think that Donald Trump is challenged by. He's trying to do some very good things, and he is not a politician, and that's good. Because politicians like Mitch McConnell, uh, Graham Lindsay, if that's his name, I think it is, John McCain. That'd be Lindsey Graham. Close. Lindsey Graham, yeah. thank you very much for correcting me. Chuck Schumer, Chuck Levin, um, they're, these people are sold out, and the reason that they're in the positions of leadership, it's because it's a corporation, and these people are bought and paid for. And I, I think most of your listeners fully understand that, so I won't go there. But a lot of these senior politicians were involved in 9-11. Here's a bullet statement for you. It's my belief that George H.W. Bush profited $1 trillion on 9-11. Now, uh, if that proved to be true, don't you think that many people who vote either R or D, I mean, there's no difference in R and Ds. They're all a bunch of traitors. Uh, right. It's a uniparty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people understand it's a uniparty. Uh, just, uh, okay, you mentioned profiting from 9-11. Um, how so in terms of that voluminous number? Uh, I could put you in touch with someone who may be willing to give you some more. He may, you know, this manipulation of the stock market, things going up and things going down. Right, right. You have knowledge of the attack. And uh, key players at American Airlines and United Airlines were known to have foreknowledge of the attack. And the evidence was their short selling uh, in the week before 9-11. Right. So there were, there were huge profits. Uh, and the one thing that I do not, well, there's a lot I don't know. But um, there are countries that like to abuse the United States of America because a lot of Americans still believe that we're a sovereign country, which we are not. We're a private corporation. But uh, I, I find this interesting, and I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative about any religion or any group of people or like I'm sold out to any religion or any group of people. Uh, for instance, when I when I retired early from my airline career because I wouldn't be quiet about 9-11 uh, I had the pleasure of being recruited immediately by a Muslim airline. I went to and I didn't even need a job because I have pretty good retirement um, I went over to Kazakhstan and I flew with Muslims around tall buildings and if anybody thinks that Kazakhstan doesn't have tall buildings they just, it's not, they're ignorant it's not they don't want to know they've just never seen the skyline of Astana which is called uh, the Astana is referred to, well, now it's the Silk Road, but also the Dubai of the North. Okay, uh, uh, no, no, well, why'd you do that? I, I'm just curious. You, you didn't have to, so you decided to fly, you know, Kazakh Airlines. Yeah, well, that, that's a, I'm glad you asked that question. I didn't need to go there, but what I'm known for legally, and I put the thing in your chat room, civil case 1 colon 08-1600, parentheses Rosemary M. Collier, uh, as soon as I said Boeing aircraft have an autopilot feature, 
which renders the pilot in control no longer in control, and you can take that to the bank. Suddenly, the Department of Justice, who is heavily influenced by my sister, who used to be one of the top people at Justice under Clinton, she and Jamie Gorelick, I believe you've heard that name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're in the same kettle of fish. Janet Reno, Jamie Gorelick, my sister, and Hillary Clinton, who was not at DOJ, but they were all in cahoots on 9-11 and a lot of other things. My sister's name is very closely linked to the Murrah Building, to Branch Davidian, 9-11. She gets around. Your sister. I mean, she gets around. My sister and Jamie Gorelick. I think my sister is more evil than Jamie Gorelick, but that's not for me. You know, that's for God to judge evil. I'm not allowed to. Matthew 7 says we can't, and I don't. But I can see evil, I can smell evil, and I can engage evil. And these women that were sold a bill of goods by powerful men about you women shouldn't be held down any longer. There's too many glass ceilings. We will help you break through. Oh, right. And then they get video of my sister and who knows what. And that's how they get people extorted. Now, I mentioned a while back that my sister probably was recruited at the University of Hawaii. There's a part of the University of Hawaii called the East-West Center, which has a history of looking like a CIA operation, and that's because it is. And Madeline Dunham, I believe that's her name, Mary Swatero, which is sort of Barack H. Obama. But, see, my sister got Obama, his passport, and the name Obama, his real name in high school, and I went to his high school. That's another God thing. I went to his high school. I went to McCain's college, and I'm after them both. And it's not personal. You know, God asked me to expose evil, and I get information all day long. And it's not just good private citizens that send me stuff. It's current insiders of the government because the senior executive service allows any bureaucracy or any element of the government to be controlled. My sister arranged that, and I'm not proud of my sister. Would I like her to be dead? No, I don't want anybody to die, and neither does Jesus. That's why he gives us eternal life if we ask for it and accept it. But I want my sister to be exposed for the treason. And as I mentioned, there's 44,000-plus people who are going to, at some point, be facing 18 U.S. Code 2382. And I'm just going to stop with opinions and give everybody that wants to Google or search for a fact. The letter that I sent to Ben Carson, to Donald Trump, and to General Joseph Dunford on the 29th of July of 2015, you can find it by searching letter 29 July 2015, Ben Carson, Donald Trump, Joseph Dunford, and my name. So when I say things are facts, and I'm glad you asked me to prove mathematically how G.H.W. Bush profited. Yeah, I'm just asking how you figure, not mathematically, I'm just saying how did he make money. For example, it's an assertion, what did he make money on, shorting stocks, gold, what? All that stuff. There was gold removed. There was $2.3 trillion removed. Everyone knows it's removed. Where did it go? But as far as G.H.W. Bush, 
keep in mind the foreknowledge angle. So he's not only ingratiating himself to countries that want the military might of the United States to be deployed against some targeted group. Well, when you get 23 young Muslim men and put them in four airplanes and then claim they crashed them, a lot of Americans who just read the newspapers and listen to the mainstream media are going to be caused, intentionally be caused, to think that the Muslims or the Middle Easterners are our enemy. No, our enemies are in the Beltway. They're in the Beltway around Washington, D.C. That's one location. They're at the Jesuit branch of the Vatican. They're at the City of London. Now, I think even a lot of your people, meaning your listeners, may not know that the City of London is a sovereign chunk of real estate. I think everyone pretty well knows that that's paying attention. However, let me ask you this, though. It would be pretty hard to deny, and I understand what you're saying, however, it would be pretty hard to deny that Islam is not at war with the West. You may say, well, they've got a reason to be because, you know, we bombed them and what have you, but you can't deny that Islam is at war with the West. I don't think that's what you're doing. I think you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but are you saying that it's bigger than that, right? Oh, it's much bigger than that. Islam is, well, first of all, do you or your son know when Islam was created out of thin air? I mean, the faith. It was roughly 800 A.D. Have you heard this before? Well, yeah, I mean. We know the history of Muhammad. Yeah, and I've got books upon books in my office, yeah, of course. Okay, well, a lot of people don't know that. No, see, what a certain group of people want is they want continuous war, and if you take a look at the United States alone and see how many years we've, well, we're almost constantly at war, and we're always lied to. For instance, the war on terror is not the war on terror. It's the war of terror, and the people running the military of the United States of America, and if anybody encourages me to start naming some four-star generals that covered up the assassination of Pat Hillman or arranged the murder of 38 men and a dog in the extortion 17 Chinook helicopter that was not hit by enemy forces. It was hit by the United States. Well, let's talk about extortion 17. I mean, that's a subject that's near and dear to people's, my heart. I mean, we lost a lot of a lot of tremendous assets that should have never happened. And uh, what do you know about Extortion 17, uh, SEAL Team 6? I know, I think, a, a, a lot. But let me tell you why. I'm in a little office in Plum City, and uh, population 600. And in May of 2014, my phone rang about 7 in the morning, and I picked up my phone. And uh, at the other end, there was a southern drawl. And... Uh, I identify myself as Field McConnell whenever I answer the phone. I said, Field McConnell, and he said, Sir, my name's Billy Bone. I'd like to come talk to you about my son who was on Extortion 17. And I said, Okay, Billy, but I'll talk to you anytime, anywhere, because I'd like to learn from you, but you sound like you're from down south, so we're probably not very close. He said, No, actually, my wife and I, Karen and Billy Bone, he said, my wife Karen and I are in Minneapolis. I said, okay, well, I'd love to talk to you. 
you want me to come to Minneapolis? Do you want to drive 61 miles east? Or should we meet at a neutral setting? He said, my wife and I would like to come to you because we would like to ask you to help us. We know who killed our son, and they do. They know who ordered that. And if you ask me later to identify him, I certainly will. Um, and I'm not playing cat and mouse here. If I know a name, I'll name a name. Um, but uh, anyway, long story short, they came over here to 401 Main Street. And we sat down, and I said, I guess you want me to try to tell you the method of the murder. And they said, yes. And I said, well, I'm not sure I can do it. But if you can tell me everything you know from the moment that the helicopter took off to when it came down, I might be able to help you. And just for those people that are anxious, I did help them, and I explained it. But here it goes. They took turns. I said, I know this is going to be difficult. I've never lost a child. But I know from my Navy and Marine Corps flying days that if you have a child pre-decease you and you're on flying status, you're not going to be flying for a while because it's the apparently clinically, psychologically, psychologically, it is one of the most difficult forms of grieving is to lose a child. So I said, I'll try to be respectful, and I also want you not to feel bad if you start crying or you get mad. I say, just take turns, and ladies first. Karen, go ahead and start the story. She said, well, in the morning that they were killed, and it was August 6th of 2011 in Wardock province in Afghanistan, she said there were numerous violations of ROE, which means rules of engagement. Uh, but since you said from the time it lifted off until the time it came down, she said what happened first that was critical was the there were seven Afghan people embedded. There were 31 Right, right. Uh, they, they, they switched off the, the uh, Afghan nationals at the last moment, right? Yeah, seven got off right. and seven more came on. Right. Okay, I'll, I'll try to do this quickly without being inaccurate. So anyway, the SEALs, when they saw the swap, swaparoo, that wasn't part of their five-paragraph order of their briefing, but they had no time. They had no time because the SEALs don't fly the helicopter, the helicopter crew does. So as soon as they swapped out seven for seven, the helicopter went up in the air, and I'm going to try to do this with my hands because some people like that. But uh, the helicopter took off. It started climbing. It ultimately got to 125 feet. And then from a tower, uh, like a, a structural tower where people can crawl up inside and then they stand on the top, three RPGs, and that's a rocket-propelled right. Right. grenade, three RPGs were fired at the helicopter. One went below it. One went through the rear rotor, the CH 46, 47 or similar. This was the CH 47 Chinook. Uh, they have two main rotors and it went through the rotor arc of the rear main rotor and took off 14 feet of one of the three rotor blades and is spinning around with so much energy and it immediately put the helicopter out of control and there's nothing the crew could have done to keep the helicopter from coming down. But the third RPG went over the helicopter and I told Billy and Karen I said, I'm thinking I'm going to be at the point where I can tell you how they did it with one more question. I said, this is a tough question. I said, uh, what was the condition of the bodies when the first responders got to Extortion 17? And one of the most difficult things I've ever had to listen to in my life was the mother of a SEAL, and this man's name was Aaron Carson Vaughn. Right. His mother, Karen, said... The bodies were soup, S-O-U-P. 
that's pretty difficult. That was difficult for her to say and for me to listen to. I said, Karen and Billy, are you telling me that the 38 men and a dog named Bart, Bart was a seal dog, right. service. I said, are you telling me these men were liquefied? And she said, absolutely yes. She said, the only identifiable portion of our son, Aaron Carson Vaughn, was his skull, and his night vision goggles, NVGs, were driven halfway back into his brain cavity. Okay, now, now, <laughs> well, let me stop you right there, just to be clear, just to be fair, because we, we've had, we've had the parents of, uh, we've had Charles Strange on, okay? Strange. Right. Mm-hmm. And, We've, I've read personally the documentation that was in the disc that was sent to the parents or the family members of the members of Extortion 17. All right. Now that's, that's certainly not what, um, behind the firewall or behind a, a vault of the disc, um, that's certainly not what, what was indicated in that, uh, the autopsy. Uh, report, uh, and I understand what you're saying, but but it's it's certainly not consistent with what what I've so seen. You mean it's not consistent with the official story, correct? Well, not official or not consistent with the story that was official, but yet not released. And then they had to fight for it to get released, and they had it already, but they couldn't access it, and they finally accessed it. And um, yes, to, to make a long answer short, yeah, I suppose. Okay, how how many autopsies were performed? Up to you know, to your knowledge, uh, the victims at the Pentagon on 9/11, and the 343 New York Fire Department victims, and the 2,980 people in the World Trade. Are you aware of a single autopsy? No, 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 not, no, 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 not on the quote atomization of the people that you know were victimized. No. I mean, some only have, uh, you know, DNA, uh, pieces of hair or pieces of DNA uh, as identifiers for some of the victims, but they, I don't believe any autopsies were ever conducted. That I know of. That's my point. That's my point. But see my teeth? Uh, you can't burn teeth. Uh, and I know what the temperature was in 9-11, but uh, the teeth, in other words, anything that would identify a person really well the teeth, uh, all that junk was taken out to Fresh Kills, uh, Fresh Kills, uh, landfill, landfill, you know, landfill yeah. hill number one and hill number nine. Back to Karen and Billy Vaughn, they told me face to face, uh, that their bodies were liquid. And I believe they were, but I'll tell you, if anybody wants to argue that, okay. especially. Well, caused by what field? I, I'm just curious. What, what, you know, what was the cause of that? Okay. The cause of that would have been, the seven Afghanis that got on, they were wearing explosives in their, you know, they have these uh, Kevlar vests to prevent them from taking body shots right. from small caliber weapons. Uh, and now I'm going to have to go right, I'm going to answer your question precisely, but i got to go back to 9-11. On 9-11, all of the aircraft used, both the real aircraft and the ones that replaced them, where they should have insulation, they had rocket fuel that looked like insulation. It's called Smack Sonic. Anyone can do a web search for Smacksonic and find out who makes it. Uh, it's France and England and uh, what it's what it's used for. Well, all of these heinous, or no, it's heinous, all these heinous acts, they have to get rid of as much evidence as possible. Uh, and they do. And, and, and sometimes they miss a little, like at the Pentagon. They thought that they had all the evidence removed and there were four parts of an A3 Sky Warrior that 
when justice is delivered, which I truly believe it will be. It's been delayed for a long, long time. But I feel the same way about Karen and Billy Vaughn, who, by the way, their story and the loss of their son meant so much to Donald Trump that he invited them both to the Cleveland. I think that's where the big pre-election deal was. That's where the nomination was, yeah. The Republican National Convention where Donald Trump was nominated, yes. Yes, and Karen and Billy Vaughn went there, and they went to the inauguration. I would invite you or encourage you to get them on your show. Okay. Were they given a disc as well? They were given a lot of evidence, and they didn't believe it. That's exactly why they came to me. They knew they were being lied to, and they actually engaged. They sent a pretty senior officer to their home, and they knew from his behavior that they were being lied to. And Billy's not a big guy, and he's not a threatening guy, but I think Billy's probably 5'9". But Billy stood up during this meeting, as I was told by Billy and Karen, and told this military guy to get out of our house. Don't come into our house and lie to us. And that's why they came to me, because they'd seen I'd been writing about Pat Tillman in Extortion 17. So what happened was the second RPG that went through the rear arc of Extortion 17 and made it incapable of flying, then it fell awkwardly 125 feet, and all the bodies, according to Billy and Karen, were liquefied. And so that's a key point to get from them. I got it from them, and I know they'd love to share it with you. But the way they liquefied them is because an outside electrical ignition source detonated the explosives that were inside the helicopter, not outside the helicopter, it was inside. This is done all the time. I mean, in 7-7, which was a deal over in England, where supposedly there were some explosives that should have gone up through the bottom of the railroad cars, but no, they went the other way. It's just like the beams coming out of 9-11, coming out of the World Trade Center. If the Trade Center came down because of the fire, well, those beams would go straight down. They wouldn't come out this way. That's evidence of an explosion. And so the people that are trying to scare us all and kill us all, and I'll repeat that and I'll stand by that, and I won't argue with anybody, but I'll discuss that with anybody. The people trying to control the world and enslave humanity not only enslave us health-wise, money-wise, false information-wise, but I just saw an interesting statistic today about all the wealth that was created in the last calendar year. The vast majority of it was controlled by 1% of the world's population, and that's who they serve. You know, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Well, when you've got an evil heart and you like money and you like, well, we haven't even touched on pedophilia. Yeah. I know, look, we're a little bit, we're kind of pressed for time. Let's fast forward, if you don't mind, let's fast forward to today. And let's put your knowledge, because you've got a lot of people who follow you. You've got a really great base of people who follow your work. Let's look at it today, because we could be talking for weeks on, you know, historic events. When you look at the landscape today, 
what do you see taking place? You've got Donald Trump in the White House. You've got Mueller, you know, seemingly on his tail. You've got um, Sessions, who doesn't appear to be doing much. Uh, when, when you look at the landscape today, what do you see? I see a continuation of the big lie. Have you heard the term the big lie? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, not all people have. But our, our whole government, the history of our government, the control of our government, it's one big lie. And the American people, uh, I heard Tracy and you gentlemen talking about the mainstream media. Well, they're bought and paid for, and they control this, the information that the same people who watch the Vikings and the Eagles and watch the Simpsons and Family Guy and the Big Bang Theory, they want someone else to do the thinking uh, when actually... The people that don't want to think, and that's the vast, well, they don't even know they don't want to think, but the vast majority of our population uh, do not have the ability to concentrate and discern truth. But I want to make sure that I leave you guys with a lot of encouragement. I truly believe that God himself is displaying his power in the battle of end times of good versus evil. And I think all of us that are alive today, if we can just not get discouraged, don't end your own life, don't do something. I know a guy who, he was so upset about something, he uh, had suicide by cop because he, somebody called the 9-11 on him and he met, showed up at the door with an empty gun, knowing that when he pulls his gun, the cops would kill him. So yeah, that's get, a bad day. That yeah. is a bad day. Yeah. And there's no reason to do it. God, God's in control. This is his word, world. He created it. You can call him anything you want. I call him Father. But, uh, you know, God is in control. I believe that God has ordained and called Trump for this time in the world history and for the people who think Trump's here to benefit America and make America great again. Well, maybe he is. If America's great again, the world is going to be a much better place. I've traveled the world. I've talked to people that look like me that look different. Most of us want peace. We want food, shelter, and clothing for our family, and we want to go out and earn enough to provide those basic needs for our family. Right. And some, right. some people want more, and the people that want more will never have enough. And I don't want anybody to think my life's easy. Uh, you talk like this, and you develop some big enemies. Uh-huh. Uh, Warren, <laughs> Warren Buffett doesn't like me, and I don't like him either because, you know, I, I've written lots about the 19 airplanes that have been taken over remotely and killed in murders for hire, MH370 being probably one of the most interesting cases. In fact, i got to say something very encouraging. I have a wife that I've been married to uh, for less than two years. For the last 13 months, she's been blocked from coming into the United States by the Department of Homeland Security and Customs. Where, where's she from, uh, if you don't mind me asking? Where's she from? Her name is Denise Irene Clark McConnell. She is from England. She's 52. Okay. I'm 68. She found me because she had a, she really wondered what the truth was about Malaysia 370. And this would have gone back. She started following me and I didn't know at the time, but. Well, just, she, just have her go to Mexico. She, she, she can walk right across the border and come up here. You'll be all right. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious kind of, but it seems like, you know, we've got a poor southern border. Uh, she's trying to come through the right way, right? Is that what you're, is that what you're yes, saying? We're not, we're not going to do anything wrong. Yeah. But because that would be stupid. But no, she was kicked out of this country. They wouldn't let her back in on the 19th of December of 20, 
16, she had gone to England for Christmas. I was supposed to join her. Uh, wives and mothers can see behaviors in husbands and children where they, because they're maternal and caring, they think, oh, he or they really need me. So she thought that I was under such immense pressure, which I wasn't. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that she cared. So she came back early and they wouldn't let her in. Now the reason they wouldn't let her in is because customs and DHS are just like every other bureaucracy. At the top, there is a senior executive service member who has been parachuted in to poison that bureaucracy and make sure it serves the city of London financially and the Jesuits in the Vatican. Uh, I don't want to say spiritually because they're liars. Uh, the, Vatic the Jesuits in the Vatican are not holy men. They're military and intelligence people dressed up as holy men. But, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig, but you can't make the last couple of popes look anything other than what they truly are, evil. Well, yeah, that's true. But, but uh, Field, just again, tell me, your your wife is not allowed in because uh, of because what? Of my, because of my whistleblowing. And they see, they think they're going to get to me. One thing they failed to consider is, as a retired Delta pilot, I can travel round trip all I want uh, from Minneapolis, where I, li I live 60 miles from Minneapolis. I can get to Minneapolis and back uh, first class very, very inexpensively, and I spend about half my time over there. Uh, at some point, she'll be allowed in, or I'll, I'll go over there. But, you know, one thing bad about Marines is uh, Marines don't like to lose their ground. That's what the Army and the Marines do. They hold real estate, ground, geography. I have a very nice retirement home. Uh, my retirement home has been attacked in civil court. Uh, they're not civil, of course. They're liars, too. But uh, in the same courtroom that I testified about Hillary and my sister being in charge of pedophilia, that courtroom, uh, there. well, I'll just tell you, it's the uh, district court, county court, excuse me, in Pierce County, Wisconsin, and Donald Trump knows that I exposed uh, pedophilia there. And to, to what extent, Field? I mean, uh, so to, to what extent did you expose them? I'm just curious. Did you? I and, said that earlier. I I was in the jury box. Okay. And the, yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't think I, you completed I, that I, thought. They kicked me off the jury, but it's it's either in the court record or they've changed the court record. So. Okay. All right. So so okay. All right. So, so when you say ex you expose that, you expose them to the expose them to the extent where you you got it on the court record. Is what you're saying? Yes, yeah, that's okay. exactly what. I, that's why I said it. I wanted it on the court record because now I've dishonored that court. Now a lot of people don't know what dishonoring a court means, and guess what? I'm one of them. But you know, a lot of people think I know a lot. I got to tell you both, uh, Doug and Joe. I I don't know. I probably don't know 10% of what I look like I know, but I'm surrounded by thousands of people globally. Uh, you know, nothing's ever done completely in the darkness, and maybe somebody in the chat room will put up Daniel 2, 21, 22. God sees what's done in darkness, and he brings it into the light. And some ways he might use people. People you've interviewed might be people that God has asked to expose evil. Uh I right. keep. I want to encourage your listeners. I truly believe this battle is about over, and I'm a hundred percent sure the battle will be won. 
Uh, no, I, I, t- I totally agree with you on that. I, I think you know, going into the tonight's program, you get so discouraged, and, and you look at you look at the landscape, and you think, my goodness, not not a lot of people care. And then, of course, you know, once you once you really um, you know get your head screwed back on straight, you realize that yeah, a lot of people do care, and a lot of people are hungry for the truth. So you're right, and, and there's spiritual uh, there's spiritual redemption in what we are all doing, and that's exposing the darkness. Uh, shining a light in the darkness. Uh, now we only have a few minutes left to, to the break. We have to take this break, or else we'll break you kicked off the air. So, um, no, you're you're good, you're good to go forever. But go ahead. Uh, no, I just I just want to uh, just why don't you uh, tell people about where they can find you on the internet as if they don't know already, and uh, your Twitter feed and so on. Just uh, give a plug out to your website and your Twitter feed. It's Abel Danger, and Abel is A-B-E-L-D-A-N-G-E-R. Abel Danger, like the battle between Abel and Cain, which were two siblings, one killed the other. That's what we're dealing with here exactly. My sister, Christine Marcy, is the most evil person I know in the United States of America, and she's attacked my country, which is my mother's and my father's country. And if you're living, or if you're a U.S. citizen, this is our country. Uh, I don't I don't want my sister to succeed. But see, it's not up to me. It's up to God. But God put me and my sister in the same family. What you're dealing with is Abel and Cain. Uh, abeldanger.org, O-R-G. My Twitter deal, and I'm not young enough or smart enough to understand that, but it's uh, that at sign, F-I-E-L-D-M-C-C. Uh, I'm in Plum City, Wisconsin, post office box 39, uh, I'd give I'd give out my cell number, which starts with seven one five three zero seven. You don't have to do that. <laughs> no, Trust me, you don't want to do that. I work twenty nine hours a day, and uh, but I feel that my job is done. I feel that I could completely retire from this. But you know what? You show me a, quish, a Christian, a real Christian, that will retire from fighting for God, and I will question if that guy's really, really, really. Working for God. Good, good point. You, you don't retire. You, your work is never done. No, and, and one of our greatest obligations as Christians is to uplift and encourage and lead people. And I want to identify myself as a 44-year sinner, and I got lots of evidence. But you know what? God, on the 1st of February of 1994, said, Field, one more chance. You can come with me where you can suffer the consequences. And I have a, I'm not perfect. I've got, I've got issues. Hey, Phil, I, we, we, we're up against a hard break. Look, thank you so much. We gotta go. Very interesting conversation. Appreciate the time. Appreciate your visit. God bless. Thank you. Folks, we're gonna be right back. Some breaking news right on the front of Drudge. FBI whistleblower, secret society held off-site meetings. Interesting. You, you know, Joe, I, I went over this, and I went over this. I broke this. I, I spoke about this on, on my morning show. I spoke about this in, I think, a couple of videos I did. 
What's being reported the here? FBI. Now, I just want to say the good guys in the FBI had uh, a church in the Beltway, inside the Beltway, under surveillance. Um, and, and the people that they had under surveillance were the permanent members, permanent FBI and uh, intelligence agency uh, uh, career people who were meeting at a church inside the Beltway, one church, and then they moved it to other places. But they were doing it. They were they were meeting to disrupt, to plan on how to disrupt Donald Trump's agenda. Go ahead, sir. Well, then you did report on it first because Senator Ron Johnson on this evening on Fox News on with Brett Baer called it corruption of the highest levels, say, stating that the secret society, we have information that is talking about a group that were holding secret meetings off-site, and there's so much smoke here. I'd say there's more than that. This I, could, I could even tell you the name. I'm not going to, but I could tell you the name of the church. Well, go back and listen to the Doug Hagman radio show to get... Well, I, I think the, I might have said it on, on a video. On a video, okay. Um, and I know I, I know I said it on Infowars. This is not. This was an open secret, Joe, um, and not a very good one either. The, the fact that these people were... When I say these people, let me be very specific. We're talking about career people at the intelligence agencies who are, uh, did not like the... We're, we're saying, okay, how can we, meeting and saying, how can we screw up the agenda of Donald Trump? How can we block his, uh, movements? And I'm not talking about seditious, seditiously. I'm, talk, I'm not talking about illegal activities. I'm talking about bureaucratic. Uh, and, and, well, I don't know to the extent, but certainly bureaucratic uh, issues. Come on. Well, we have our guest, uh, Peter Chauka with us to weigh in on all the things that are going on as well as, his latest piece that is up on the Hagman Report, and make sure you check that out. It is a great piece dealing with the immigration issue and illegals being able to vote in California starting on April 1st. Peter Chalko, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Uh, thank you, Joe. It's great to be with you again this evening on uh, another slow news day, so I hope <laughs> we can find enough to fill the next hour. Uh, <laughs> I wish. I wish one of these days we would have a slow news day, but I I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, you know, you know, Peter. Uh, yeah, I mean, where do you even want to start? It's it's. Uh, I don't well, know. I, you mentioned the brand new Drudge headline, which uh, refers to a new article on PJ Media, which I haven't had a chance to digest yet. But it's about a a, a whistleblower supposedly emerging who will tell the tale of off-site meetings of this FBI secret society. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. But before we get into the meat of what's been happening today and what you've been talking about to a great extent, in the, the uh, especially in the first hour of the show, which, by the way, was uh, phenomenal. What a great discussion and review with the two of you and with Tracy Beans. It's fantastic. Uh, but I just wanted to start with uh, the article that I posted today at the Hagman Report because it's an important story which uh, I think otherwise has been falling through the cracks because of our preoccupation uh, warranted as it is with the news coming out of the swamp in D.C., the FBI and DOJ corruption, etc. cetera. Uh, but a few days ago, I saw an article in a small California publication and I did a double take. I had to read it several times to make sure I was understanding it correctly. And and so I've titled my article uh, about it at the Hagman Report uh, succinctly. Let's see. Starting April 1st, illegals in California can vote legally. 
So I, uh, I put a story together and it was uploaded to American Thinker at 1.30 this morning Pacific time. And then before I posted it or another version of it at the Hagman Report, I did some further research to add context to this incredible story. And so I posted an article at uh, 10 a.m. this morning at the Hagman Report, which I just read the title of. And it's about 700 words longer than the one at American Thinker. And uh, the, the bottom line of this story, incredible as it is, is that starting this April 1st, and this is not an April Fool's joke, by the way, starting April 1st, 2018, illegal immigrants in the state of California who can get state driver's licenses there legally now and have been able to do so for the past two and a half years because of California state law, they will be automatically registered to vote in the state of California, and not only for local elections, but for statewide and federal elections. And at last count, just over a year ago, 13 months ago, the most recent count we had was that 800,000 illegal aliens living in California had taken advantage of this driver's license provision. So 800,000 of them, as of 13 months ago, had driver's licenses Scores of thousands have continued since then, perhaps hundreds of thousands more in the past year. And even before this law went into effect two and a half years ago, allowing illegals to get driver's licenses, uh, many of them did anyway, because California for a number of years, the DMV, the Motor Vehicle Department, has not required any documentation of someone who shows up at the DMV and applies for a license. They unless they say they are not a citizen and then presumably they would be rejected, although I wonder even about that in today's climate there. Uh, many, many thousands of illegals got licenses before it was even quote-unquote legitimate for them to do so. Uh, now this, when I started to do some additional research, I found that uh, as I had read from time to time and as we may have heard in the past months and years, other states and localities have been talking about giving their illegal immigrant residents the right to vote. Two years ago, this was proposed in New York City, and it would only have allowed the illegals there, who number about a half a million in New York City, the five boroughs, would have allowed them to vote only in local elections. Uh, this is going on in Chicago, at San Francisco Bay Area, and in some other cities, and some states are talking about it. But We've often seen that California tends to lead the nation in so many things in the past good, lately bad. So if somehow this insane provision is allowed to go into effect on April 1st, we'll have probably at least 3 million illegal immigrants in California with the right to vote. That's crazy. By the way, I, I, just before we continue, I see behind me I should narrate this scene where we have a yeah, well, yeah, of finally both cats. The cat that's closer to me is Lulu, who's the elder of the two, and next to Lulu is Biggie, who we've seen before on several occasions. So we'll we'll see what ensues. There's not not to interrupt the narrative, but uh, it is a bit of comic relief 
from all of these weighty Much subjects needed, yeah. that we're constantly burdened with. <laughs> and I like to feel that the cats are helping to keep me sane, assuming I am sane at this point, but uh, we'll, we'll see what here. happens. What do you think about the battle that has been ongoing? You had the uh, head of DHS said that they're thinking about arresting the leaders of sanctuary cities. Then you have this new law in California, this SB 51, where the California Attorney General has come out and said any employer who helps the ICE enforcement uh, on their immigration raids will be facing state charges from the Attorney General in California. How can these two oh. coexist, and uh, wh who's going to win out? Wouldn't you like to be a business owner in California now and try to uh, thread the needle between these competing legal entities, the federal government and the state government? California, the state of California has gone completely bonkers in recent years. Uh, basically, the political structure there, well, first of all, it's been turned into a one-party, uh, totally blue state. It's probably the bluest state in the country that is Democrat-Socialist. And that has happened because of uh, un uncontrolled illegal immigration in the past several decades. So you have the leadership of California now, aside from uh, Governor Moonbeam, Jerry Brown, who's in the last year of his administration in his fourth term. Uh, he will be retiring in January, but the leader of the state Senate uh, is a man named um, Kevin de Leon. He spells his last name L-E uh, accent O-N. However, that's not his real name. His real name is Kevin Leon, without the accent. It reminds me of Barack Hussein Obama, who changed his name at least once, maybe more than that. So this de Leon character grew up in San Diego and Tijuana. He was born in the United States, so he's a citizen He's a top state senator in California and the second most powerful political figure in California. And he is basically a representative of La Raza, La Mecha, and the Reconquista. The Reconquista movement, in my opinion, is a racist movement in which uh, the now majority Latino population of California, there are now more Latino Americans than there are non-Hispanic Caucasian Americans living in California. So they are firmly in control. And this character, Senator de Leon, has basically uh, advocated open borders, uh, sanctuary cities. Now this insane sanctuary state, California is leading the way in being the first sanctuary state which will coddle illegal immigrants, including criminal illegal immigrants, and frustrate the federal government's attempt to catch and deport criminal illegals and so on. So you know, we have to look at the situation as one of absolute insanity. And there's really no, in my opinion, there's no explaining it in any rational kind of way. And when I hear uh, federal authorities under the Trump administration saying that there will be a price to pay for mayors in this country or others who declare uh, cities or maybe even states as sanctuaries in opposition to federal law, that this uh, is not going to be tolerated and that some elected officials may face legal consequences. Um, I would like to think and hope that that's going to happen, but I really don't see practically how it can 
when you have such a polarized country now and probably one half or more of the country itself nationwide and certainly more than one half in California being completely in opposition to the federal government enforcing law. You know, I just want to say, if you want to know what Obama's legacy is, this is Obama's legacy. This, As a matter of fact, this is George Bush's legacy. This is Jeb Bush's legacy. They own this, this total screw-up that pits the states against the federal government. It's in their lap, Peter. That's what I believe. And I'll tell you, this is not a states' rights versus the federal uh, government issue. This is a law issue. This is a national security issue. It has nothing to do with it. It, it, it is convenient, too. States' rights are good when they want them to be good, and states and federal, you know, it's BS. But this is, this is Obama's legacy. Thank you very Absolute, much. Absolutely right. I agree with you 100%, Doug. And, if anything, it's a selective application of states' rights because in every other area that we might be interested in, a more libertarian, traditional, conservative area, a states' rights do not apply in a uh, socialist, communist state like California. So you're absolutely correct there. But uh, you know, I have a lot of experience in my background with the state of California and my memory actually goes back to uh, 50 years ago this year, which was the time of my first visit to California, having grown up as I did on the East Coast. And that was still at the point when California was the, Ameri- it was the epitome of the American dream, in my opinion. I got to spend uh, seven or eight weeks of the summer of 1968 after uh, a year at university staying with uh, the family of my best friend from college. They were very generous and let me stay in the former maid's quarters as I looked for work that summer in Los Angeles where they lived. And uh, it was an experience that I'll never forget. It was just a wonderful place. Uh, Not that this was the reason it was wonderful, but at the time I believe Latinos made up 4 or 5% of the population of California. And uh, otherwise, it was traditional American, middle American state. Uh, it wasn't overrun. It wasn't overdeveloped. You could actually get around on the freeways, even at rush hour. There was smog, of course, and nothing is ever perfect, even when we're looking back in time. But it, it was the American dream. Now it's been completely despoiled by years of mismanagement by politicians of left and right, but but particularly left now, and by this incredible invasion. Uh, the, the fact that today uh, a, a majority of residents of the state of California are apparently Latinos, and they are no longer the minority, but a majority, well, that would be fine and good if this were a group of immigrants that was interested in assimilating and learning the language and becoming uh, El Norte Americans and not uh, Mexican Americans with the accent on Mexicans. So it's uh, you know it, 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 it we, when you when you research as I would recommend interested listeners and viewers to do when you research the Reconquista movement that is the effort by a hardcore leftist communist uh, Mexicans and Mexican Americans to retake the American Southwest. They go back to 1847 and the Mexican-American War when the Southwest, what is now the United States, was in the hands of Mexico, having earlier been controlled by Spain, of course, 
came into the control of the United States. And instead of accepting that and learning to live with it, many Mexicans, and particularly radical Mexican-Americans and those who are now in power, have created these movements, La Raza, La Mecha, and Reconquista, to reconquer the Southwest. And they have done it by this war of attrition, by illegal immigration. I think uh, something like 20% of Mexican citizens are now living in the United States and a vast number of them in California. And they have completely, they've got a stranglehold on the political uh, establishment in California and are directing it towards open borders, uh, welfare for all. I mean, Governor Jerry Moonbeam Brown uh, announced uh, a year or two ago that uh, everyone is welcome in California, whether they're legal or not, and they will be taken care of and the border doesn't exist. And when you just step back for a moment and think of, of what this means and what it means for the future, uh, I mean, again, this is an incredibly important story. I, I would say it's one of the two or three most important stories we should be paying attention to. And certainly what's happening in the D.C. swamp is at or near the top of the list as well. But this one, and it's also happening nationwide as well. It's not only California, but uh, when I go back to the East Coast and visit places that I am used to there, having grown up there, uh, I hear Spanish being the most frequently heard language in places like southwestern Connecticut, in New York City, 40 to 45 percent of the residents of the 8 million people were not born in the United States, and there's at least one half million uh, undocumented or illegal immigrants living in New York City out of a population of 8 million, and it's probably more than that because these numbers are always undercounted. And we still hear uh, the so-called ex- experts saying, oh, there's 11 million, there are 11 million uh, undocumented immigrants in this country. They've been using that. 11 million figure for the last uh, decade at least and we know that uh, illegal immigration in this country which fell for a while after President Trump took office is now back up again so who knows what the real figure is I've heard other experts say it's easily 20 million or 30 million illegal immigrants here and they have amassed political power and by the way I end my article today at the Hagman Report about uh, this, this insane voting situation in California by saying this was an, another example of the power of the so-called dreamers, these uh, young and not-so-young people who uh, want to stay in this country now, haven't been brought here illegally by their parents. And I mentioned how the shutdown of the government, according to an article, I believe it was the Washington Times, was not a, a, a Democrat or Republican shutdown. It was a dreamer shutdown because it was that dreamer, so-called dreamer issue that led the Democrats to basically shut the government down when they realized that the spin on that issue might not be taking hold among the independent voters and even some Democrats. They backed off. Uh, so, the, you know, the dreamers and the illegals it now might be said, are uh, in the driver's seat in, politically in this country. Well, what we can do about it, I don't know, but at least we have to recognize that, that the problem is there. Well, today um, there's a story on Breitbart. Dreamers storm Schumer's New York City home, demand amnesty now. And also we have uh, news that Schumer withdraws border wall funding offer, almost assuring another shutdown on February 8th. Obviously it was a political miscalculation and mistake, 
for the extreme left to think that they could hold the government hostage in order to get through some sort of amnesty for uh, dreamer deals. But we saw, I, I listened to Laura Ingram today, part of Laura Ingram, and she talked about back when Reagan offered amnesty in the 80s, how so many people who were here illegally after that was offered started suing the government because they were not included in it when they came after and how the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals kept uh, granting citizenship to, to people and how this is a never-ending cycle. And I think Sarah Sanders said it best today that Trump ran on an, an immigration platform to stop the open borders policy and to stop these policies of amnesty and to, you know, really drill down on illegal immigration and that the majority of the American people are with him on this issue. And I think he just needs to stand firm on this. And it's going to be a battle of the midterm elections. But, um, you know, with all that we see going on in the country right now, immigration seems it should take a back seat. Obviously, CNN and the other mainstream media is not going to cover the explosive information about the sedition and the coup, attempted coup against Donald Trump. But, I mean, really, if anything, we should be, this should be the top story in every mainstream media outlet about how the FBI and the Obama administration really uh, illegally went after Donald Trump trying to take the presidency away from him and failed miserably. Now it's all coming out in the open. This is what we should be talking about. But not, it's, still, it's continuing. Yes, and yes it's going to be coming and, back around. And the only thing i got to say about immigration or the uh, illegal aliens in this country, if if uh, Donald Trump acquiesces on that, he's going to be a one-term president. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, the deck is stacked against him and anyone else who really tries to uh, bring some reason and law to this issue, as well as uh, many many other uh, ally issues, public health, um, the uh, the economy, the incredible cost to the United States of illegal immigration. You know, when when some of the illegal immigrant advocates speak and say, "Oh, there's a net gain that illegal immigrants bring to this country financially," I mean, that is an absolute total lie, as is so much of what they say. But now you're absolutely right. The the number one story of uh, this new year, as it has been for much of the last year, is the emerging story of the deepest scandal uh, that probably the United States has ever seen politically. What what went on uh, in 2016 and 2017 to destroy the candidacy and then the presidency of uh, Donald Trump on the part of the Obama regime and his minions, the Justice Department, and the FBI. And, I mean, the, the, the information that's coming out every day now, if not hour by hour, exposing this corruption, and we haven't even seen the, uh, the four-page memo yet, or uh, many of the other documents, or, of course, the texts, many of which are now missing between Strzok and his uh, girlfriend, Paige, but, you know, I happen to be watching CNN today for a while to monitor. Uh, CNN is, is valuable to monitor because their uh, spin comes right out of the shadow government and the deep state. If you want to know where this is going, watch CNN for a while and, and you get a real taste of it. And, of course, notwithstanding the revelations that are reported on uh, Fox News much of the time and by Sarah Carter and other leading journalists, uh, mostly on the Internet, and, and to some extent in the mainstream media about the corruption in the FBI et al. 
uh, CNN all day was, of course, leading with the fake news that uh, Mueller, th- this is the top on their list all day, uh, special counsel Mueller is planning to interview Donald Trump, and Mueller, it looks like, is moving towards trying to ensnare Trump and others in his administration in a, an ob- obstruction of justice case. Obviously, the uh, attempt to ensnare them in the Russian collusion narrative meme is fading fast, but they've always got another rabbit ready to pull out of the hat, so they're going to go, it looks like, for obstruction of justice. And we should recall that it was an obstruction of justice charge that really took down Richard Nixon in 1974, largely because of the secret tapes that he taped himself and his conversations with his top advisors and was heard on these tapes apparently uh, suborning obstruction of justice in the Watergate break-in and cover-up. But uh, that's how they got Nixon, and they didn't even have to impeach him, by the way. he Articles of impeachment were voted by the House Judiciary Committee, but he was never impeached in the full House. He resigned before he could face charges of impeachment. And I, I've been reflecting again, as I mentioned on several previous uh, conversations we've had here, on the experience with Watergate, because I, I had experience with Watergate. 45 years ago, I was a very young journalist in the nation's capital then, armed with a Metropolitan Police press pass, which entitled me to cover pretty much anything I wanted in the political sphere. So I was able to attend some of the Watergate hearings and then the impeachment hearings at the Judiciary Committee in the summer of 1974, as well as several White House press conferences uh, with President Nixon. And one of them I reviewed uh, recently in uh, some of the photographs that I've used to illustrate my articles at the Hagman Report were photos that I took at a Nixon White House press conference on June 29, 1972. Now, that date is significant because it was only 12 days after the Watergate break-in took place. And, of course, the Watergate break-in, the failed break-in, that third-rate burglary, was covered to some extent by the mainstream media then. But 12 days later, President Nixon held a primetime press conference in the East Room of the White House. I was there photographing it. Of course, he wouldn't recognize me for a question. He recognized the mainstream media. But in all of the questions asked asked of him that night by the mainstream media, there was not one question about the Watergate break-in. Now, the media was not necessarily pro-Nixon at that point, certainly, but even so, they let that incident go right by. And it took many more months of of digging and probing, particularly by the Washington Post and the famous Woodward and Bernstein duo, to plant the seeds for Nixon's destruction in the rest of the media. Now, you compare that with today, with President Trump, who has been given no quarter at all by the mainstream media who are opposed to his presidency at the level of 90 or 95 percent of their reporters and editors and bosses' personal opinions, as well as the nature and fairness of their coverage. It's 90 to 95 percent anti-Trump since he took office one year ago. So, you know, they've made a molehill, or excuse me, a mountain 
out of the molehill of uh, Russia a clu- uh, collusion. And uh, look how far they've taken that. It's been going on for over a year with basic, basically nothing to go on. So now they're shifting it ever so slightly towards obstruction of justice. They have uh, several people that they've gotten uh, uh, who've pled guilty, General Flynn and uh, his associate, and uh, Manafort and his associate are supposed to go on trial in May because I, I of this kangaroo report. You know what, Peter? If I was Manafort's lawyer, I would just I, I would move for an immediate. Uh, 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 I'd vacate the, the dismissal. Dismissal, right? But it's uh, I'm trying to remember the legal term. Maybe it is dismissal, as simple as that. But given the fact that uh, knowing what we know about Mueller and and the uh, well, go ahead, continue. It's an absolute kangaroo court. And you know, uh, several weeks ago, I wrote an article, uh, which which is interesting in in this light too, because it. Uh, it didn't get much coverage, and in fact, uh, off the record, someone I know in the mainstream media explained to me, or uh, cautioned me, that it would not get much coverage, uh, get many retweets, or have legs, so to speak, because it just cut too close to something that was really just too sensitive to get into. And that story was the uh, very unbalanced makeup of the grand jury in Washington, D.C. that was convened by Special Counsel Mueller, which is hearing evidence and testimony and has gotten the indictments against General Flynn and his associate and Paul Manafort and his associate. And this grand jury, it was revealed, uh, consisted of um, a total minority population. Now, of course, Washington, D.C. is largely minority, of uh, majority African Americans in the population, so that's the jury pool. But uh, someone made a comment. I think it was I um, can't remember who exactly. Someone who had been inside of that grand jury uh, said that the only uh, Caucasian or white person there, or there was one Caucasian in the room, and he was a prosecutor. So we know that in Washington D.C., it's reliably anti-Trump and pro-Democrat by 95, 98%. So it's a kangaroo court. So I I simply wrote up the facts. I didn't use any name-calling or cast any aspersions at anyone because of their race, color, or creed. I just laid it out what the statistics of that jury were. And uh, it it got relatively little attention. And when I related to this this story that I've uh, posted today at the Hagman Report and at American Thinker, although at American Thinker it got a lot of reader comments, about 320 at last count, and a lot of very serious and lengthy comments at that. My story about California uh, allowing illegals to vote on April 1st, and um, I didn't get anyone uh, who was prominent to retweet that either today, even though I thought it was a really good and a potentially hot story, because I think... Some of these stories are just so politically incorrect and there's so much power on the other side that even uh, even those of us on the right side of the spectrum at a higher level than, than I am, certainly, I mean, like, say, at the Fox News level, will not touch this story. I mean, I monitor Fox News and foxnews.com virtually around the clock, and I have not heard one mention of this California illegals 
voting on April 1st story. I haven't heard anything on Fox News about that. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I just, Peter, I just want to interject something here. When, when, you, when you say you monitor, I, I want to tell our audience, this is absolute surveillance. This is not monitoring. This is surveillance of the networks. Um, and as, I mean surveillance in a good way, not a negative way, in a good way. You monitor, I mean, right down to the the minute, and I can't believe the um, extensive, extensive nature of your coverage of the network. So you are truly a, um, a fountain of information when it comes to that. I should get... Uh Frontline increase in pay for this uh, this work here because <laughs> yeah. it's it's not pleasant. But and well, and I also I have the benefit of uh, Fox News sending me transcripts of a number of their programs that they prepare very quickly. Other transcripts can be found online, and I also record a lot of programs uh, digitally. And and finally, a lot of the recordings of Fox News shows, especially in prime time, wind up on YouTube by interested third parties who record them and upload them very quickly after the programs have aired. So uh, the Internet has really helped in, in keeping a, a look at what's going on. But, you know, there's, variety, there's several reasons for my doing this. First of all, I've monitored the mainstream media most of my life. I've found it uh, a very rich resource, even if you think the mainstream media is screwed up, which it is, Fox News less than most, of course, it's still very valuable to see what this total propaganda matrix is dishing out to us, even when we have uh, better alternatives on the Internet, which, of course, I also monitor a lot of the time as I'm multitasking. But I think it's really important to see what the American people are being fed by the mainstream media. Uh, you know, I, I saw a statistic uh, this week that in terms of the broadcast media newscasts, ABC, NBC, and CBS total audience of which is um, I think at least 20 million viewers a night, maybe more uh, they r reported zero this week on the uh, four page memo that might be released by the Congress on the goings on at the FBI, etc or on the missing texts so these, just like CNN and MSNBC, they are basically not covering these stories and as we've seen before in history, including more distant history, when a story or stories are not covered, that's as effective as fake news. They can certainly fake the news, or they can commit fakery by ignoring essential stories and by then front-loading their newscasts and broadcasts with uh, shaded news, uh, news that has been spun or or outright fake news. So which which you, you took a front seat to, by the way, which you just described. You took a front seat to in, in the Watergate era, I believe, right? The the lack of coverage initially. Right, right, right. The lack of coverage. Well, in a way, you know, looking back, I mean, twenty twenty vision uh, is always better hindsight uh, than than when you're living through it and trying to understand it. And you know, in addition to. My memories of what I covered during Watergate, I've, I've tried to watch every documentary that has occurred, been broadcast since then. Uh, I've read a number of books on it. I've done some primary source interviewing of some of the principals who were active then. And, you know, I don't pretend to have the whole story of it, but uh, uh, it, the story developed more or less organically the way it should have. Uh, Nixon was not dragged down immediately. It took time to develop the evidence 
against him. And, of course, it was aided by the Democrat Party, which uh, convened a special select committee of the United States Senate, chaired by Senator Irvin of North Carolina, who stepped out of central casting to chair that uh, series of hearings in the summer of 1973. And then that revealed that Nixon had uh, had secretly taped his uh, conversations with his aides over a number of years, and then the tapes were subpoenaed. Eventually, they were released, and uh, then impeachment uh, hearings were held at the House Judiciary Committee the following summer. So I was, you know, I did have to some extent a front row seat in monitoring all of that, as well as the political dynamic in Washington. I was covering political candidates at the time, both Republicans and Democrats, who uh, were running for president or emerging in the Senate and the House, holding press conferences, you know, going to these events, getting a close-on look at some of these people. And uh, even though it's kind of ancient history now, the lessons are very valuable because although a lot has changed in Washington, a lot hasn't changed. I mean, just I'll, I'll share one anecdote that I don't think I've shared before. On my first visit to the White House as a journalist in June of 1971, I went there to attend a primetime press conference, the first of three that I attended by President Richard Nixon. And I had a D.C. police press pass, so all I had to do was call up the White House press office and uh, request a, a pass to attend this press conference, this ba- press, co- press conference based on the fact that I had a legitimate police press pass and I had been vetted by the Metropolitan Police. So I was pretty much uh, rubber stamped in. So I showed up there at the appointed hour, 7.30 p.m. The press conference was scheduled for 9 p.m. prime time. And I was interviewed by an assistant press secretary who just wanted to get to know me and see where I was coming. Do we freeze up? The uh, White House uh, press gallery, which we see... uh, these days, when uh, the presidential press secretary holds a briefing, that's where it occurs. So I'm in this room waiting with the other journalists there, and I recognize some of them as the the elite, the poobahs of the media at that period. So uh, me being a friendly type person and curious, I try to make conversation with these people, you know, the New York Times correspondents or the network correspondents who you'd see on TV, and they looked at me like, you know, who is this guy? Who is this young interloper who's crashed into our midst? We don't know who he is. And they made it clear they just wanted to have nothing to do with me. In fact, the only people who I could have a conversation with were the technical people, the uh, the men at that point who ran the cameras, who were carrying the microphones and the taping equipment. They were friendly and engaging and very informative. But the elitists of the press just looked down their nose at anybody who wasn't already in their circle. And uh, you can tell when you watch these events today and you see these people. I mean, I think it's even worse now than it was then because the elite of the media now have the outlets, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, and social media to uh, flaunt themselves and to strut their stuff and their easily recognizable, and plus they're making uh, magnitudes of uh, income greater than they were making in the 1960s and 70s, so they're really full of themselves now, but I'm reminded of my early experiences in that, 
you know, which I will never forget and which I think are still relevant to this day in, in many ways. And, you know, Peter, I want to, I want to ask you this while we're talking about the, the media. And you said something a, a few sentences back that not covering a story is, is an effective, is as effective, uh, basically as, as trying to debunk it or even sometimes more effective. At what point, I mean, I'm just looking at Drudge and, and finally Drudge is catching up. It seems like they were slow on the uptake on covering, uh, you know, the, what's going on with the corruption inside the FBI and with the, the Mueller investigation. And it seems that they're catching up. But at what point does the media have to cover this? I mean, we already see, uh, on Newsbusters, they're a great media analyst site. Um, and they're detailing, uh, one instance on MSNBC where, uh, some political pundit is denouncing the FBI concerns as snake oil or McCarthyism. But at what point does CNN, ABC, NBC have to cover, you know, these missing messages, the attempted coup against Trump in detail, or will they ever? Well, that's a good question. And trying to predict, I would say my best guess is that they will only be start covering it when they're dragged, kicking and screaming into having to cover it, and that would probably only occur, will only occur if uh, some of the principals who we've heard about recently, the, the most corrupt individuals, uh, are indicted or prosecuted or held to account for their crimes. If they are, if an attempt is made to bring them to justice, of course, that's no guarantee either that the corrupt fake news mainstream media will report. Uh, that story, if it does emerge anything approaching fairly and objectively, because they're able to twist everything 180 degrees and turn it absolutely upside down, um, as they are in, you know, the, the news about the four-page memo that we're hoping and waiting to be released yeah, from uh, the House of Representatives. I mean, the, you know, to see CNN. MSNBC and most of the rest of the, the mainstream media reporting on this, they describe it as just uh, a, a bitter, polarized, political hit piece document put out by the Republicans in order to try to uh, besmirch or smear Mueller's investigation in, you know, in case he does the right thing and brings charges against President Trump. That's how they are spinning that four-page memo. What are, and they're saying Russian bots are the ones promoting it on Twitter. At least they will probably they'll be tearing it apart. Yeah, and, and they will be tearing it apart. We you know, we'll finally see it. There was a a letter issued today by Diane Feinstein and others calling on Twitter and Facebook to censor and deactivate accounts that are calling for release the memo, as they are saying they are Russian linked accounts or Russian bots pushing the narrative. Release the memo. Yeah, I was really glad to hear uh, you guys and Tracy discuss that in the first hour. And that, that first hour is another one that needs to be uh, edited and placed in the time capsule because it was worth, uh, worth, it was historic. And anyone who's monitoring this hour who didn't hear the first hour, please go back and listen to or watch that podcast. That was a chilling revelation that came out today that Feinstein had, had is basically trying to, uh, the First Amendment and suppress real news here by threatening the social media giants with uh, they better do something to control this uh, hashtag or this meme to release the memo or they're going to be in trouble. I mean, this 
is a chilling development. And I guess all we can continue to do is to push for the release of that memo to use social media and uh, do our best there. But I mean, th- this is the fight of our lives that we are in right now. Uh, I've said this before, Doug, you say it uh, every day, Joe, as well. In, in my history of paying close attention, 45 plus years since I was a, a very young person, uh, I've never seen anything like this. And I've never been in a, a degree of such fear and concern as I am right now that this could go all wrong and, and we're not going to be able to fix it. And, and what a, what a, a bummer it's been for the past year. I mean, on election night 2016, uh, I don't know what I was anticipating that night. I mean, I, I could not imagine in my worst nightmares that Hillary Clinton would be our president. But at the same time, I, I knew what the complexion and the makeup of the country is, and uh, I was afraid to have hope that Trump could really pull it off. And watching the coverage that night, as he did, as he won, as the results came in, and seeing how the mainstream media <laughs> didn't want to report it. They were holding out till the last minute until they declared him a winner, and it was like this great weight was lifted. I I, I don't think I had felt such a, a feeling of profound elation and epiphany in my entire life. I felt there is finally hope now that we're going to get beyond this eight-year, eight-plus-year, 24-year, however long, regime of corruption and and uh, sedition and failure at the hands of Hussein Obama and his predecessors. And, and look what's happened in the uh, 15 months since then. I mean, no one had, could have predicted the tough road ahead for President Trump, well, how he would a, not get yeah. a break. You're talking about uh, an ongoing coup, uh, Peter. I, I, I cannot stress this enough, and I really believe that this Watergate can't even come close to to this, and and remembering Watergate, you of course being uh, front and center in that. Uh, this is the most incredible period of time in my lifetime. Um, do you think? How do you, how do you see this playing out? I mean, you're a smart guy. You've got a lot of a lot of miles behind you. How, how do you see this playing out? Well, I've had this conversation with several of my friends on Twitter in direct messaging. And uh, on any given day, I'm uh, depressed and profoundly depressed at the prospects of the future. But I'm uh, there's still hope in there somewhere because we have the validity and the power of the facts and our arguments sustaining us. I mean, let's face it, the truth is on our side in this battle. And uh, I would go to the mat with anyone who disagrees with that. I mean, let's face it, you know, the the truth is coming out full scale, live and in color, 24-7, if we pay attention to it and know where to access, know how to access it. The smartest people, in my opinion, writing, reporting, and broadcasting about these issues are the people who are reporting it largely from our point of view because we're bouncing off them and they're bouncing off of us and the information that is objectively coming out now. So that has to give me hope that ultimately uh, the truth in the facts and the power 
of the Internet in a positive way through viral social media is something that we haven't yet seen the end of. We, we don't understand it. We Nobody really understands it. And we have to hope to God that it will pan out in this instance. And could I take this brief moment to please ask people watching or listening to this to go to my Twitter at twitter.com slash pchowka, and the spelling of it is on the monitor behind me. And if you're on Twitter already, I would appreciate, of course, a retweet or a like, but even people who are not on Twitter, don't have a Twitter account, can access my account, which I use primarily as a uh, table of contents of my articles and podcasts like this one will lead to. And I also tweeted out that I would be on the Hagman Report today. So there's a lot, there's links to a lot of material there. And as much as we have the opportunity, as often as we have the opportunity to engage on this program, which I deeply appreciate, and it's a, a wonderful forum, but reading is also still essential. For people who really want the full story, you have got to delve into the literature, and there's a lot of it now. And I hope that my articles are making a contribution. And, uh, you know, I would say the same, of course, Doug, about your work, both on your morning show, Joe, your show with John every day, and everything that you put out at the website, HagmanReport.com, at your social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, etc. These are essential touchstones in our information matrix now to, uh, to one-up the deep state and the shadow government, which are drowning us in lies, fake news, and evil corruption. Uh, I want to make a brief point about Watergate, too, uh, before I forget, and that is that, uh, well, isn't it interesting, first of all, that in the coverage that's ensuing today, when the, the I word, the impeachment word, is thrown out there, and the mainstream media will love to dial it back to Richard Nixon and use him as an example of impeachment and earlier impeachment, when he actually wasn't impeached, he resigned when impeachment was probably a certainty, but who was the last one to be impeached actually impeached and tried in the Senate, Billy Bill Bob. Clinton. Yep. And in fact, just as a footnote there, Fox News uh, premiered a new seven-part series. It's part of a, uh, a longer program that they hope to, uh, uh, to have on there after these seven parts air on successive Sundays. It's called Scandalous. The next one will air Sunday evening, this coming Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, that will be part two of the Clinton scandals. And I watched and reviewed part one this past Sunday, and it was pretty good. I wouldn't give it a A-plus a rating or a five-star, but it was definitely worth seeing to remind us of the roots of the Clinton corruption going back to Whitewater and even before that to the early years of Bill Clinton. And part two this coming Sunday is going to take up with the Paula Jones case, and eventually we'll get to Bill Clinton's impeachment. But that's an interesting show, and uh, it's helping to correct the historical record. We haven't really seen much, if anything, about uh, the dirt on Bill Clinton since he left, which is why he can have such a high approval rating to this day. Uh, but fortunately, that show is out there. But I wanted to mention about Richard Nixon. Uh, what Nixon was apparently guilty of, that is uh, obstruction of justice, was uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, previous Democrat presidents in particular, FDR, JFK, I'm sorry to say, and LBJ in particular, 
uh, one-upped Nixon at every turn in the illegal dirty tricks and uh, criminalities that they committed while they were president. And some of them you can cut some slack, like I think JFK, we have to give some uh, grudging credit to uh, some other point we might be able to discuss that in some detail. But LBJ, of course, would get a, a goose egg, a zero in my book, and FDR close to that, except that he helped to manipulate the country to supposedly defeat Japan and Germany in World War II. But, uh, you know, Nixon was not uh, as guilty as those previous Democratic presidents, in my opinion. Not only in my opinion, but if you read a book like Seymour Hersh's Dark Side of Camelot, that will uh, turn your hair uh, white or gray after one reading when you see what JFK and his brother were up to when they were president. But, uh, you know, the truth slowly comes out. We're getting this, this Fox series now, and it's helping to put things into a broader context, which is what I think we try to do here when we get together uh, looking between the lines to try to connect the dots. And in between the lines is uh, Peter's a section on our YouTube uh, channel where he appears. It's segmented, and it, of course, between the lines, coincidentally or not so coincidentally. Yeah, um, and again, I think we're I think we're at a point, Peter, where um, we're, we're in a fight fight for our lives, fight for the the nation, fight for our our heritage in in many ways. As you point out in your article, and go to HagmanReport.com, American Thinker as well, Peter Peter Chaka, but. Um, from illegals voting, which is insane, illegal aliens voting legally. What's wrong with that? Sentence? Do you see that, Joy Reid? Don't say illegal. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not the I, culture I, we're I, trying I, to promote I, around here. I love it. Humans are not illegal. I mean, how can <laughs> humans can't be illegal? Yeah, that story. If I could make a pitch for that story, really needs to go viral, if possible. The the story I wrote today. At the Hagman Report, that's the better version of the two I uploaded today, the other one to American Thinker. This story is, I would say, one of the top four or five stories I've written in the past year. And really, it's only the beginning because um, I put about a day or two into it. And, you know, one could put much more than that into really sketching out the whole context of what's going on. But it's a beginning. It's a start. And it has a lot of links, and I would really appreciate it if I can see that, that people are accessing, reading, and sharing that story, as well as the venue that is hosting the story, that is HagmanReport.com, which should be an essential place that people visit one or more times a day for a, a very impressive selection of breaking news as curated by uh, Joe Hagman, primarily, and uh, I am blessed to have the opportunity of contributing there. I think I've contributed about 75 articles so far since last July, totaling several hundred thousand words worth of material. And it's all available for free reading, and it's all replete with links and resources. So people who really want to get more deeply into this material uh, can do so at their leisure. And we thank you for all your great work, Peter. And always looking forward to reading your latest pieces as they are always insightful and very timely. And we are at the end of the show and we, uh, thanks, thank you for coming on and we will definitely have you on, I'm sure, again next week, Peter. And as you said, never a, a, sn a slow news cycle, yeah. not these days. <laughs> so we'll be in touch, uh, 
I'm sure off air too as well. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Have a great evening, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. You too. Peter Chauka, Peter Barry Chauka, P, at Pete Chauka on Twitter, and folks follow him on Twitter because his works are well thought out, and, and he's right. He has 70-some thousand words, my goodness, in the uh, that he's written uh, multiple books, if you will. You know, I mean, in, in the equivalent of the um, of his writings. But again, here we are, the twenty third day of uh, January. I think day number three hundred and sixty eight of the Donald Trump presidency. I'm close, if not on target on that. Let me just what I say three sixty eight. I know I have it written down here somewhere. Um, uh, we'll call it. We'll call it. We'll call it that. And uh, it, it's been a rough battle-hardened 368 days uh, that Donald Trump has, has been yeah. president. Yeah, it has. It, it, the FBI, look, the FBI, the CIA, the, the, the Cla- remember, Clapper, Comey, Brennan, and uh, Rosenstein, McCabe, Carlin, uh, Lynch, Hillary, do I need to go on? I mean, there you have the, the deep state cabal. Well, it seems like we're about to, you know, continue to receive these landslides of information, and we have to stay on this and make sure, uh, you know, that we keep our foot on the gas, emailing our congressmen, our senators, calling, them. Re- calling them to release the memo, uh, you know, calling the, the media outlets, emailing the media outlets, make them cover these scandals. Don't let them continue to uh, deceive and, and uh, try to up- debunk true information and facts and evidence with nonsense like Russian bots, and we will continue to do the same. It was a great show tonight. Tracy Beans, then Field McConnell, and Peter Chowka. We want to thank each and every one of you guys for listening. Don't forget to donate through Patreon. You can become a member of our forum, or you can join us each and every first Sunday of the month on uh, an interactive broadcast we do on Sundays for people who donate $25 or more. That'll do it for us tonight. Stay safe. Until tomorrow, have a great evening.